Testing one, two. Word. How you doing? How you doing, brother? Fantastic. Candy says we're even the same volume. How awesome is that? Say that again. <laughs> Candy said we were the same volume, but now your your volume. Yeah, then he did that. <laughs> uh, no, no, I had walked away from the front of my uh, little system here for a minute. Right on. How's that? Um, you that, me that sounds perfect. Am I wrong, Candy? Testing one, two, microphone check one, two. It's our affliction in the building. We did one with Jesse, but he talked so much softer than me. I was just listening to it, and we got to figure a way to get these levels changed. You know what I mean? I need to record them on two tracks. I got you. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you mean, buddy. How do you do it? How do I do what? How do you record your podcast? I don't have a podcast. What the fuck? No, that's for like weirdos. You know I mean? All right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> weirdos that come on or weirdos that host them, huh? <laughs> well, with that, I guess I should welcome you to straight to the point, completely off topic. How you doing, Papa OG Fliction? I'm doing good, man. How you doing, buddy? I, you know, couldn't be better. I had a, a real slow start to the day, you know, <laughs> just what, time what, to play video what, games, waiting what? on you to drop your Harley off at the at the dealership. <laughs> what do you consider a slow day? Uh, waking, not having to tell. I just woke up and uh, just planning the the podcast. So nice, easy. Wake up, went over see my mom. You know. Okay. How's she doing? She's she's doing good. I think you know. She's at that age. She don't really tell you too though. I gotta I gotta have my wife figure it out for me sometimes. Uh, you know, she's she's at that age. The, you have to go over there and check her post-it notes that she leaves everywhere around the house to see, you know, how much she's forgetting or what she's, you know, her internal thoughts are all over her house, like post-it notes. But let's get to it, brother. You well, got time. See, I, I have this feeling. I know you. You got a million stories. Million stories. You got, and, and this might take some time if I don't jump right to it. Well, you know, you got to tell me what's, what story you want me to hear. You want to hear so I can go on the Rolodex, the story Rolodex. And uh... well, before before let, let's do a little bit of how you come to be a tattoo artist first. And then we're going to get to season one and then we're going to go over so much more, actually. OK, so uh, I see this, here. That, is, this, is this the podcast? Is this, is this started already? Is like you're recording this. This is what people are going to hear. It's pretty. What? It's pretty rough, ain't it? No, I'm just saying. Oh, are you gonna say, yeah. hey, Al, "Hey, Al, we're gonna get started right now," or is this? It, it, oh, we started. Yeah, I started. We're starting. <laughs> so when yeah, people yeah. when people listen, this is what they're gonna hear. Yeah, all this. Oh, okay. oh, let me let me change the voice up a little bit then. Oh, okay, yeah. Nah, I'm Put just your kidding. TV voice on. I'm just kidding, bro. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, we can go back. We can we can explain our relationship a bit. Um, I met you after you were on. Season one, you were on season one. You are original, original, the original ink master. Yeah, and after the, that, the, I met you in the, Massachusetts. Yo, I'm the originator, not the imitator. Just remember that. And the rest of us are then, of course. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like winning a race, there's only one first place. You know okay, what I'm right. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm yeah, saying, I follow it. 
and you're that, the originator, that, that, not the imitator. Right. You're like um, you're like cheddar cheese, not Velveeta. It's just you know, it's like no, nah, it's not nah, you know, like it's the foundation. I'm the foundation. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Without the Ink Nation, w- without 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 us laying the doormat down, there wouldn't have been nothing for y'all to walk on. For the red, for the rest, if we if we didn't succeed, and if I didn't succeed, and you know my season didn't, there would have mm-hmm. been there would be no you. Did you on well? Where are you into it? Fuck, fuck the early. We'll get back to that. We're in season <laughs> one now. I'm with it right on. But then, did you feel that pressure when you were there filming? No, not at all. No, I mean, not, not, no, dude, not at all. I, I know I you, you. You are pretty hyped most of the time, anyways. But you as didn't far, feel like somebody far, has to. You know, as far as I was concerned at that time, that was going to be the only season. I didn't know. Oh, really? I didn't know there was going to be a part two or, or, or to go all the way where it's been now. I thought, hey, it was going to be a show just like just, you know, like a one time show. Because when they told me it wasn't a reality show, like like a like a like a Miami Inc. where they had different episodes. When I got there, okay. they were like, nah, this is just a competition show. Ten contestants and it's over. I thought that was it. It was going to be a one deal thing. I didn't think there'll be another season, stuff like that. You just didn't think that that was a tested uh, vehicle yet then for reality shows of, of like the no, competition and all that? I didn't think they were going to keep doing it. I didn't think that. I didn't think they were going to keep doing it and, change, and changing the artists. I didn't, I didn't. I had no idea. Right on. I'm kind of saying it seems like. Uh, because because at man, that you time. You know the way money works. If it makes money, no, they're going to no, do it. No, because at that time, you know, you're watching reality shows. Most reality mm-hmm. shows, Jersey Shore. Stuff like that. It's the same people. They do different episodes, yeah. But I just didn't think that they were gonna have. You know, I thought it was uh, just gonna. They were gonna have ten artists. They were gonna do this one sh- one series, mm-hmm. and it would have been over. I, I didn't. You know, I didn't think they were gonna be like, hey, they're gonna do it over again. And remember, on my season, they rented a place. They rented a, a, a empty room in a church. Okay, tell us about this because all the rest of them were filmed in a warehouse. Right, all the rest of them was filmed in. It was filmed. Well, they bought a, they bought like a whole block warehouse and converted it. And then once that was made, I figured that's when I knew they were there to stay. But for my season, they rented it from a church. The church had a brownstone adjoined to it. And what's a brownstone? A brownstone like, is a brick. It's like a brown brick building in New York okay. City and Jersey and Philly, like. You know, like 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 what the Cosby Show, what those what those people, you know. That okay. Cosby, you ever watch the Cosby yeah, Show? Yeah, yeah. Shared shared uh, wall housing. Yeah, brick wall, brick little staircase coming down from the front of it. We call it a stoop. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like stoop talk. Have you ever watched that show with that lady stoop talk? She's sitting on a stoop with her bulldog, and she's yeah. she's interviewing people having coffee. That's a brown so, Now yourself, you're from. Brooklyn, is it? Man, don't get me yeah. get me wrong. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. Park so Park so Brooklyn. Yes, good. I got it right. Born and raised. And that, of course, is a large part of who you are. Am I wrong? Of course. I mean, if you hear me talk, vernacular, right like yes, exactly. Stoop. If you hear me speak, and you know, coffee, and you know, water. You know, everybody knows the New York accent. Although, Why is the pizza so good in New York? Because of the water. I knew it. Same thing with the bagels. 
How mad does it make you when I say I don't think the pizza's that good in New York? It doesn't make me mad. It just tells me that you're uneducated on pizza. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I love it. So, but you don't feel so. And, you and, you, turn be, on you, be, and you being from Flint, you have you mm-hmm. should not talk about water. <laughs> that no, that's why our pizza's so good. That's what's missing in your. That's, I go to New York. I'm like, where's, where's the lead? You know, get the lead out because this is uh this water is not oh. New York. New York City water has fluoride in it. How about that? Northern, you guys don't have fluoride in the water. That's why you you guys all got bad teeth in other states. They say that fluoride actually calcifies inside of your pineal gland, your ability to commune with nature and feel spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what's happening to me, huh? That's what's happening all in New York. That's why y'all soulless out there. Damn. So Actually, and that that's maybe there's something there. I'm going to I was going to say, wait a second. New York's definitely got a soul. But you know what? New York, when you go down the streets, it feels like it has soul. Maybe it's robbing all the souls of all its inhabitants. And actually, the streets, the brick, the brownstone, the mortise, the stoops. Maybe they're getting all the soul. Maybe that's what I feel. I don't think you've been in New York. Enough. How long? <laughs> how many times have you been in New York? Hmm, seven, seven, eight. You ever been to Brooklyn? A little bit. It's changed a lot, eh? Yeah, a lot since I grew up. So uh, it's uh, always. Uh, have you have you watched the Tracy Morgan? Your your double, your twin, Tracy Morgan. Have you watched his show? Of course, Brooklyn. I watched Tracy Morgan. What you? Everybody watched Tracy Morgan. What you talk about? You crazy? <laughs> I love it. Do you find the same, like the same observations when he went into the joint? Brooklyn was one way. When he came out, he's ready to rule the streets. Oh yeah, Brooklyn that, has what, changed. What, what was that show called? That that that, that show he came out with. What was the name of that? Uh, the true, the original OG. I think something about yeah, OG. Yeah, yeah. it yeah, was basically it, your story then. Yeah, it was very close. You know what? And a lot of people, a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh quoted me about that. They were like, yo, Al, that reminds me of you. That reminds me of you. Actually, <laughs> actually, one of my ex-girlfriends told me that. Yeah, I, I, there's two people that remind me of you. One's Tracy Morgan. Do you know who the other is? Who, Sinbad? No, that's a good one, though. Now it, now it's going to. Nope. <laughs> I don't know anybody that can do the Carl, Carlton as good as you. The Carlton. You know what's funny about the Carlton is that when I was a kid, I had the little afro. I used to like to dance. I used to get, they used to compare me to Michael Jackson a lot when Michael Jackson was a kid. But then when um, this kid. Yeah, you got them dimples. This kid called the Tap Dance Kid came out and had a Broadway show. And it was was actually uh, Carlton, uh, Alfonso Rivera, Mm -hmm. who played Carlton. And he played the Tap Dance Kid. Not a lot of people know that. No, and I knew it. I, he was big into movies. tap dancing, and he also yeah. did Circus of the Stars a lot. Yeah, so I remember when he was a kid, they used to compare me. They used to say, man, you look like the tap dance kid, you know? So they, mm-hmm. always, they always used to compare me and him together. And then, you know, so, years years and years later, he, he is in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and people still were comparing to me. And I'm like, you know, that's kind of funny. They used to, you know, compare me to him when we were kids, and they still do now when we're older, did, so. Did you know his? Did, he was probably doing that dance move, the Carlton, of some sort throughout his dances. Then did did you know that dance move prior? No, to him doing it. No, not at all. Not at all. Right on. 
Yeah, because he was he was also on he was also on Richie Rich. Nah, it was Silver Spoons, but you got your close. Was it Silver Spoons? <laughs> yeah, Richie Rich okay. was um, but he was based off of Richie Rich, right? It was like the sitcom well, version of Richie Rich. Kid, yeah, right. Rich kid. white kid. Yes. Got all the all the ability in the world and his crazy hygiene. So Silver Spoons. Silver Spoons. <laughs> Richie Rich was the cartoon, I think, back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. That's but it was like the the, the sitcom embodiment of of the Richie yeah, Rich show, basically, because Richie Rich was a cartoon. Oh, I used to love that show because it gave me the idea that you could just wake up and buy everything in the world, you know, have every GI Joe. Yeah, no doubt about it. But, um, but mm-hmm. let's get get back to season one with me, though. Let's step back to get back to season one. Back yeah. to the point. Okay. Because I feel like you did bring a lot of drama there. Like uh, even though you might not have felt the necessity to. You certainly were involved right away. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, and I, and I, I had a game plan from the minute I walked through the door when I seen, when I seen what was going on there and I peeped the moves, I was like, I know what to do here. I know, what was it? I know what I'm going to have to do to make people remember me when they watch it this season. I could tell, first of all, a lot of people don't know about me. I used to host a video show in New York called Video Music Box. My brother's I, been held, my brother was hosting it for years. My older brother Ray Dijon. And uh, fuck it. I swear to God, dude. They used to call me Al Dijon. You know, I know a lot about you, but I don't know. I did not know that. I know so okay. much. All right. So listen, Video Music Box has <laughs> mm-hmm. been has, is the longest going video show that showed hip hop videos. It was before MTV, MTV raps. Before MTV. Before okay. all that, it was Video Music Box. You would go home. It was on channel 31. You you fix your antenna on top of your TV after school and you would yeah, watch, get your tinfoil out. You would watch you would watch Ralph McDaniels, who started it all. Shout out to Ralph, Uncle Ralph McDaniels. Um, Ralph would come on and be like, you know, Video Music Box, New York's number one video show. And he would he would be out there in the streets interviewing these new hip hop artists and then show their videos. Then MTV started showing hip hop videos, but Ralph McDaniels was like the iconic guy for the streets and for you to come home after school and watch videos when they first was this started. When that was known on the West Coast too, or was he pretty much just no, East Coast no, it New was York only in that. only in New York City because the okay. channel it was on one of them, you know, yeah, you know, PBS uh, or something, urban like broadcast channel. It was on it was on a channel where you would see like uh, mom and pops restaurants and stuff like that in, in New York city doing okay. ads and stuff like that on. So that was like a public access channel. So uh, yeah. Ralph had it on channel 31 for years. I mean, they just celebrated, I think their 40, 40 year anniversary or 50th anniversary for video music box. What is uh, it still on? Yeah, it's still on. He still does the show. So you used uh, to host this. How, how'd you get involved right. with that? My my brother, my brother Ray Dijon became one of one of the hosts for Ralph. Ralph you mean like Ralph. mustard. Is, is your your brother's name like mustard? Dijon is D E J E A N. In English, you would say Dijon, mm-hmm. but it's pronounced Dijon. Dijon. Okay. So my brother, my brother, since he had, people had a problem pronouncing it as Dijon, he would always say, you know, he just started spelling it D E J O N. Dijon. Okay, make it so, easy on him. Oh, so yeah. So long story longer, he became a host of Video Music Box. I always, you know, would follow my brother. Sometimes I was the cameraman for him. Sometimes I would hold the camera up 
and he'll take me places. He'll interview all the hip hop artists. You know, Jay Z. This is these are the early days. Fifty Cent. You've interviewed Jay Z before? Uh, not me. My brother okay. would interview them for the show. I would at times that back in those days, I used to be the sometimes be the cameraman for my brother and hold the right, camera. Right, but you you're right there sometimes. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, young... I met I met I would meet tons of rappers. I would meet tons of artists. Um. I met Beyonce. I was the be. I was I was a cameraman in Beyonce's trailer when she was about 15, 16 years old when she first started. Jay Z was directing one of her music videos in the Village in New York City. I, I, ironically, he was he was the one directing her music video, and she was uh, about 15, 16 years old at the time. How crazy is did would you How have imagined then? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he had eyes for her then. Oh no! I mean about her her success and career. Yeah, I thought I ain't was, even trying to I get down that was, fucking yeah, Priscilla true, Presley type road. Yeah, true story. <laughs> there was Jay Z had another artist named Amelion. She was another female rap artist. Amelion and Beyonce did a song together. Jay Z directed the video. It was filmed in the Village in New York City. My brother was there on set on um to interview Jay Z, to interview Amelion, to interview Beyonce on the making of this video. Uh, wow. And you're there oh, as a cameraman? Called me up. He goes, Al, I need you as a camera guy today. I was like, I'm there, whatever. I drive out to Manhattan. I got the camera on my shoulder. We're watching Jay-Z direct this video. Uh, he's kind of busy, so we're going to get to him at the end. Uh, mm -hmm. So we we go we go to uh, Emilian's trailer, Emilian. We inter he interviews her about the song, about the video. Then we go to Beyonce's trailer. She's inside the trailer with her mother. And at that her younger sister, um, Solange. Solange must have been, no lie, like 13 years old at this time. Um, I'm looking at Beyonce. She's a young girl. She's 16 years old, maybe 15. I'm like, she's cute. You know, I was, I must have been about, uh, I think I was, uh, I was like 30 years old at this time. So I'm looking at her like she's a young girl, you know, but she was yeah. cute. So I was like, wow, she's a cute girl. My brother's interviewing her. He finishes interviewing her. He's stepping out the trailer. I got the camera in my hand. I'm going off the trailer. She was like, hey, you guys look related. And I was like, that's my brother. And then my brother, I'll never forget this, tells her, yeah, I'm training him to be a VJ. Like totally like made me <laughs> feel like the bottom of the bow. And she was like, she looked at me and I looked at her and my brother leaves the trailer and I go, that's, I go, yeah. So one day I'm going to be interviewing you. And she said, I'll remember. True story. <gasps> So, when did you get to interview her since? Never. Not yet. Not yet. Let's make it happen. It hasn't, how do it hasn't we, how happened do we make yet. it happen? It hasn't oh happened God. yet. But I Can you imagine forget, how that full circle I, story would run? I'll ne never forget that, man. And I'll never forget how she started to blow up in her career after that. The <laughs> list goes on and on. Because uh, that was before Destiny Child then. Correct. Correct. So. No, she, was, she, was, she was in Destiny's Child uh, managed by Wyclef at that time. Jake, she was just doing a, a a solo song by herself with Emilion, and Jay Z okay. happened to be Emilion was Jay Z's artist, so he got Beyonce to do a feature in it, and then shot the yeah, video. Yeah, I follow. Yeah, and he and he directed the video. Um, got the name of the song, but anyway, and I watched her career, her career blow up, you know, ever since then. Now, now keep in mind, this is right, this is all right after I came out of prison, you know. So I was I was thirty years old at this time. So we, so you did, 
your brother's training you to be a VJ. We we recall he that he was, he as, was not. Well, he wasn't really. He was not training me to be a VJ. <laughs> he was just trying to. He was just trying to shine. Okay. I, I, look, I was just. <laughs> I'm doing him a favor because his cameraman couldn't come, and he knows. Yeah. Not, not many people could use that camera at that time. It was the first really good high quality camera that came out. It was called the Canon XJ1 or X1. And this uh huge and, thing sits on your shoulder. Yeah, feels yeah. Like it, it held it held the the VH tape VHS tape inside it, but it shot, mm. but it shot quality footage. It was yeah. like at that time that was like 4K to the industry. And everybody mm -hmm. was using this um this it was the Sony or a Canon. I forgot, I think it's I think it was a Sony and um XJ1 and it, it shot really good and it looked nice it looked futuristic it was big you know this is why I needed some time with you man this is Zach because all this you know? is really just to build up why you knew that drama was going to be important to be remembered on the show right. so so back back to channel back back to channel 5 um <laughs> one day Ralph McDaniels uh now keep in mind let, let, let's rewind this a little bit I'm I'm helping my brother out I'm 30 years old I came out of prison after doing eight years in prison. Okay. What'd so, you do eight years on? I did eight years in federal prison. You want can we talk about that or you want to just leave it out? I'll cut I mean, that shit out. Hey, hey, I, I got yeah. locked up when I was 21 years old, uh, made some wrong decisions. Some uh, dumb shit, huh? So I was living in Miami at the time. I had first time you made it to Michigan was in prison. Yes. I made it to Michigan. My last two years in prison was in Michigan. In uh, Milan, Michigan, actually. So, um, uh, so we go. We see we're skipping around here, but anyway, I'm out of prison at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, and, how much uh, did it change you? Like you got it. You you decided not to go back, didn't you? I always said I wasn't going back, and uh, a lot of people what? say that. A lot of people say that in there, and they end up going back anyway. But uh. Yeah, but you made up your mind. You changed things. You know, that you know what, in. man? You know, you started what, to be this VJ. You started to be this person of interest well, as listen, opposed to uh, this monster. Nah. Mm -hmm. uh, listen, an old, a old timer one time told me when I was in prison, he was like, man, I don't know what you're doing in here. He goes, you got too much talent to be up in here. He said, he goes, you were just in a hustler's way. And I was like, what does that mean? He was like, you was in my way. You was in a hustler's way. He was like, all the talent you got and you were selling drugs, you was just in my way. You had no business doing that. He goes, I don't got no talent in the world. That's what. That's all I had to do. But you mm -hmm. had a choice. And he told me that. He was like, man, you get back out there, man. Use your talent. You don't got no business in, in here. And you just going to be in a hustler's way. And that made me think. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, wow, I'm in here. I'm in prison making money. Making, mm -hmm. more, making more money than some people make it in, 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 in the real world. You're running a store or something. You know, tattooing in prison, you know, doing oil paintings for, for people's families, cutting hair, drawing things for people. Like, I was like, you know, wow, if I can make money in here doing this, what, why can't I make money outside doing this? So that was the eye-opener eye -opener for me being in prison. That's when I got out of prison. I came out and I said, I'm going to use my talent. And that's exactly what I did. But What was the first job you had? It, using job, your talent. It wasn't first, holding the camera. First job I got when I came out of prison was working in a barbershop down the block from where I grew up all my life. The old man who used to cut my hair gave me a job cutting hair in his barbershop. 
Same barbershop I was getting my hair cutting since I was four years old. Oh, wow. Because I started. Did you remember you, your whole life then? Always remembered me his whole life because my mother still lived up the block. He knows my little brothers. He knows my nephews, my nieces. This man has been part of my family forever. Wow. So he gave me my first shot. I told him I was in prison. I need a job. I was cutting hair in prison. And I'm pretty good. No brainer for him. He hired me. Everybody from the block, all my old friends, they all started coming to get their haircuts from me, bringing their children to get their haircuts from me. So it was like instant clientele. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, yeah. I was, you know, I was I was in a halfway house for like six months or three months working there, and then um, I eventually ended up opening my own barbershop about two blocks away. So I left the old man after about six months, opened my own barbershop. It was called Celeb's Salon. And the reason the reason it was called Celeb Salon, mm, you know short, what I'm going to ask. It was short for celebrities. Now, of course. Now, I had this thing always growing up when I would go into, you know, fancy restaurants sometimes or, 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 or a place of business. You know, you sometimes you see a, 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 a picture on the wall in a frame and it'll have a picture of the owner of that establishment with with a famous person who came to that restaurant to eat there or came to that right. place. Yeah. And I, I always, you know, right away you, you see something like that and you'd be like, man, this is the place to be, you know, yo, you know, who goes there, even though the right. guy, could, even though the celebrity could have came there one time. Right. Or not even been there. Like those people went to a meet and greet somewhere. And right. Whatever, the whatever the case may be, I want to eat there now. Cause look who's on the wall. That owner knows <laughs> him. You know, yeah. that, that owner knows all these people. So, when I was in prison and I put the, you know, I put the barbershop that I wanted to open. I made a business plan. Okay. I, named, yeah. I, I created a name for it. And I said, I'm going to call it Celeb Salon. And I'm going to put pictures all over the wall, eight by tens of celebrities. And I'm going to have their signature on it. And they're going to say like, hey, Al, thanks or whatever. And I, uh-huh. said, and I said, even if they're going to be fake, People are going to walk in there and they're going to see all these celebrities' pictures all over the wall. Yeah. And they're going to be signed and they're going to be saying, hi, Al, and thank you, Al. And all in the same writing. And everybody's going to, no, I'm going to change the handwriting. <laughs> same pen. I, I'm, no, no, no. All different handwriting because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a hell of a fucking, uh, of a forger. And I was, mm-hmm. I was a graffiti artist, so I could copy any signature you show me. So what I, now the problem was I was in prison and I wanted to collect these these photos. So when I got out of jail, I could present this business plan to somebody. Somebody could lend me the money so I could open up this tattoo shop called Celeb Salon. So, oh, it wasn't it wasn't going to be a, a, a haircut in place. It's going to be a tattoo yeah. shop. No, Celeb Salon was going to be a barbershop. Okay, so, yeah. All right? Rigid. So I, said, yes. I said I would tattoo in the front and I'll have a little room in the back. I mean, tattoo in the back and a little room and I'll, hair, I'll cut hair in the front. Let me use both my talents. Case one doesn't work out, maybe the right. other one will. So that's gonna be rough though. If you get a tattoo, someone's gonna come in for a five-minute haircut. You're like, yeah, in about it, two it, hours. It, 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 well, it happened and it worked. And it worked. I had people sitting down waiting for haircuts, and I had people sitting down waiting for tattoos. Keep in mind, this is 1999. A lot of you okay. people a lot of people listening to this right now didn't even think about tattooing in 1999. Right. I came home from prison in 1999 tattooing because I learned how to tattoo in prison. So in the hood, urban, 
Puerto Ricans, blacks, no, none of them was tattooing in the shop. There was very few shops, and you didn't you didn't find any shop owned by a Puerto Rican or a black guy. Well, they were all kitchen magician care. kind of stuff or something. Or, or you was, mean they're they, all they weren't tattooing shops. at all. Okay. They weren't <laughs> tattooing at all. They 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 didn't have no way to learn to do it. Okay. And, and any any tattoo tattoo shops that did exist in 1999, there was a few that were in Brooklyn and in New York City for years already. And they were they were operating illegally because when I came home in 1999, two years before that in 1997, New York City made tattoo illegal made it legal and would let you get a license for it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Now, now there's no internet. There's no computers. There's no Google. You know, this is old school shit. You're using rotary. I mean, um, coil machines. There wasn't no rotaries out. None of that. So anybody listening to this now, this is how it was when I came home in 1999, I met a dude who was a tattoo artist in prison. He said, when you come home, come see me. I'm gonna have a tattoo shop by then, and I'm gonna tell you how to use the real machines and where to buy supplies when you come to the okay. street. Because you right? were using inside, you were using a Walkman using, or something. Yeah, we using homemade machines that we made off of, you know, motors from the tape decks. You know, yeah. making making needles from guitar string. You know, I used to have a little fan in my in my my cell, and I used to, I used to, I cut out a little piece of round piece of sandpaper, glued it in the middle of the fan. And I would use that to grind the guitar string down and make the needle sharper. <laughs> right. All right. Long story longer. I come out and while I'm in jail, I need to collect photos, eight by 10 photos of these celebrities. So I'm like, how can I do that? In jail, they used to allow us to buy books of stamps. Mm -hmm. Now, all of you that don't know, a book of stamps is cash. That's like US currency. You could go to the post office and turn in a book of stamps and they will give you money for it. Right. Okay? So in, in, in the prison I was, you were able to buy books of stamps and have stamps in your room. And you could trade those like currency. So I we used to use it as money. I used to cut hair. I used to do oil paintings. I used to tattoo. I had tons and tons of books of stamps. I would mail stamps home just so I could help out with my kids, send money home and stuff like that, okay? She would go to the post office. She would cash them in. She would buy food for the kids or buy whatever she had to buy, help with the rent. That's how I used to help out from prison. Now, I found a magazine that sold eight by 10 photos of every celebrity you can you could think of from A to Z. You know, Tyra Banks, Halle Berry, you know, George Clooney, yeah. you know, rappers, everybody, they, they was in this book. And you. so I, what I did was I wrote the company and I said, I'm in prison. I have an idea to open up a tattoo shop. I mean, a a, 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 a barbershop called Celeb Salon. And I want to buy these photos, but I don't have no money in here, but I have stamps. Will you, mm -hmm. accept, will you accept stamps as payment? They yeah. wrote me back. They wrote me back and they told me yes. So oh, I my started, God. I started, I started checking off all the pictures I wanted of these celebrities. And I started buying them with stamps. I ended up with about 200 pictures of the celebrities that I chose. Yeah. And then I started studying and finding out how they signed their signatures, or I would just sign it any which way I wanted to. And some right. of them I would write. If you couldn't find it. Some of them I would write, hey, Al, thanks. What a beautiful place. You know, <laughs> see you soon. I, I just wrote whatever. It was like what I think they would say to me if they really met me. Some of right. them, you know, thanks for cutting my son's hair. 
you know, great place, beautiful salon, blah, blah, blah. I get home, I start working, I start working for the old man. Six huh. months later, down the block, a friend of mine who I grew up with, he owned the building because his father left him the building. They had a storefront downstairs that used to be the game room when we grew up. We used to play pinball machines in there, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. His name was Johnny. I go to Johnny. I said, hey, Johnny. He's like, Al, welcome home. You know, it's been a long time. You know, I'm like, Johnny, I got an idea. Why I do know. I see this like a smoky room, a cigar? Yeah, yeah. It's like and, a uh, mafia. I'm movie. like, he was a Dominican guy. I say, like, Johnny, I want to rent this place from you. <laughs> and uh, he goes, he already, he already seen me working down the block, cutting hair. And he was actually one of my clients and would bring his son there to cut, to get his hair. Okay. I said, look, I started this business plan in prison. This is my business plan. This is what I want to name the place. I want to have six stations. I'm going to rent each station for $150. I'm going to tattoo in the back and I'm going to cut hair. The name of the places, this is what the name of the places. Look at all these pictures I have. I was like, <laughs> would, you rent, would you rent me this place? And because he saw my work ethic since I was home and I was staying out of trouble and he saw I could cut hair good, he rented That's me the awesome. place. That's he cool that they took me. this chance on you. Cause he uh, took the chance, he took the chance on me and and I and and Celeb Salon was born. I opened it up, I got frames for all those eight by ten photos, and I had the pictures all over the walls, the logo on the window. I had one room in the back with a two-way mirror, which which was supposed to be like an office, but I made it a uh. tattoo, a tattoo room. I go to see my friend Jamie Half, who owned the tattoo shop. Called permanent, yeah. per, called permanent Touch. It was in Queens. He sees me. He gives me a crash course on all the, the equipment I needed, the, ster the sterilizer, autoclave, all that. How to set up this? How to set up the tattoo room that I needed two sinks, one sink to wash my hands, one sink to to to, to wash your the dirty you know instruments mm -hmm. out. At that time, yeah. at that time you were you were you were you were cleaning the tubes, the metal tubes. It was no plastic. Mm -hmm. It wasn't no plastic tubes. It wasn't no disposable needles. All the needles we used, I used to solder them on it with this thing called a jig. You you buy you mm -hmm. would buy you would buy a bag of the tips, the tip, the needle tips, and then you had to solder them onto the bar. Oh wait, you'd get configurations of needles already together, or you'd have to group them yourself together. I used to group them myself, but uh. at that time I wasn't using you know you know it wasn't no fourteen round shaders. I wasn't doing nothing to that extreme. But I was doing the basic five liners, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Most five liners, seven liners, and then you know if I wanted to make it like a shader, I heat up the the I heat it up a little bit to the solder with it, spread those needles apart a little bit, make it more like a shader. Now, like a round shader. What about yeah. uh, mags? Did you start using them back then, or was no it mags? Rounds? I was I was flats. I was just I was I was grouping six flats, flat six flat together. Yeah, simple yep. shit at that time. Now remember those needles, we would. After we would use needles on somebody that we that we jig together and brush them off, brush them off with a toothbrush, clean them in a the sink, put them in a sterilization pouch and sterilize them. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were reusing needles on people that was, but we would sterilize them. And then we had like a little, I had the little stethoscope, you know, the, the little magnifying glass thing. What do you call those? Like oh, I looped. Yeah, yeah. yeah I looped. I looped to look at the tip of the needles to make sure they wasn't barbed, make sure mm -hmm. they wasn't bent up. This is all stuff I learned when I got home from my man, Jamie, who I was in prison with. 
who we who who we used to tattoo and prison with together. All right. So now I'm off to the races. He 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 takes every piece of flash off his walls, and we go mm -hmm. and get them photocopied. Okay, so now you got a whole set of flash I got, too. I got Your whole wall to, wall to wall flash. At that time, that's what it was. It was all about flash. It wasn't about you know. It wasn't about uh. Hey, could you draw me a angel holding that? We didn't even we. It's so weird that we didn't think about doing custom tattoos at that time. It was unheard of for somebody to walk into the shop and tell us to draw something for them. You pick what was on the wall, and that's what you got. You tell me what number that flash is. I go into I go into I pull out the, the the drawer and I get the black and white num version of it. I throw it to the to the stencil machine to the autoclave and uh, I mean not autoclave to the um to the stencil machine. Thermofax. facts. Thermo facts. Yeah. The big ass heavy ones that we had back then. Yeah, the three M thermo facts. Plastic knob on them. Three M yeah. joints here yeah. with the plastic belt that was burned on you and popped sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, and one guy could fix. And you yep. had to look them up and send it away. Wait yes. eight weeks. Yes, hundred percent. So, uh, so much better than so, acetate, you know, though. That, that's how it was for me. <laughs> that's how it was, and um, and I just stayed. I well, that's a huge success right away, or what? Yeah, right away. The you start hiring started. other guys as well. Then the barbershop took off right away. Okay, right All away. Right. Tattoos take a little longer to start. Tattoos was different at that time. It was, you know. People just the tattoos were busy. It got busy, but it wasn't. It wasn't at the. It wasn't the time yet where where, where it took off in inner cities. And right. that doesn't really happen until those shows start to take effect, started, right? Miami Inc. to L.A. Inc. Yeah, it, that it 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 got to a huger level after that. But it, it it was a it was a little busier before that. It started getting popular in the hood with the when the basketball players started getting all the tattoos. Right. And stuff. Yeah. And then the hip hop artists, Dennis Rodman, especially. Yes, yes, the hip hop artists and the basketball players, and then the hood. The hood was like, "Yo, they want to be all covered up." So at this point, what at what point do you film with your brother? The same time as your a tattoo artist slash hair doing barber. Right. All right. At okay. that time, now remember, I'm on parole. Uh, right. It was Memorial Day weekend. I was home from prison about a year and a half. In a year and okay. a half. I've already worked for the old man for a few for six months, and I already got my started own started your own shop. Started mm -hmm. my own shop, uh, tattooing in the Success. back. Yeah, I'm all good. Um, but I have four years of parole left, uh, supervised release. Can't now, what other what other things? I've never known you to do one job. You had your fingers in more than so. You got two already. You, you you're helping your brother out, but that's not really a job for you. What else you doing? You got you doing DJing at the time. Uh, no, at that time, that, that, that was, I mean, that was already only a year and a half out. And I was, uh, I'm airbrushing t-shirts for people. I'm yes. tattooing, I'm tattooing and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm cutting hair. So I was, okay. I was, I, was busy. I knew there was at least one more. Yeah. <laughs> so then, uh, <laughs> I know you, I know you too well. Yes. So then, um, uh, my brother, he's going to get his, the boss, Ralph McDaniels is sending him away for Memorial Day weekend which is a big urban party week. And uh, he's sending them to Cancun for the festivities with a film crew to film down there. Mm. And he asks me, hey, Al, do you want to go to Miami? I'll send you with a film crew. You do all the interviewing. And when I do the editing, I'm going to, I'm going to edit 
you and your brother talking back to each other. So I want you to say once in a while, it's Al Dijon. I was using my brother's last name, mm-hmm. not, not my not my legal name. But you guys look real familiar. Like yeah, we we look we, we look a lot alike. Yeah. So okay. so I would have to say, hey, this is Al Dijon. I'm down here with Memorial Day weekend in Miami video video music box, New York's number one video show. Let's take it over to my brother in Cancun, and my brother would be like, hey, thank you, Al. So he was gonna. Edit. But that's Al on edit. You guys weren't really right. Of course. In any kind of, right. But we had to say it. But this is a big opportunity, but at the same time, you're on parole. No, Right. So he tells me this a week before, a week before, a week before, and you know me, actual forgiveness before permission. I knew if I I asked, the parole officer wasn't going to let me go. Right. I figured, hey, I, I I leave Friday morning. I'm back Monday. She'll never know. Uh I take my chances. I go to Miami. I got my fingers crossed for you, Go to Miami. I got the film crew with me. I I, I interview Makai Pfeiffer. Oh, my God. I interview Bismarck. I interview Puff Daddy. I interview the Beat Nuts. I interviewed so many celebrities that weekend. And and at this time, you know, all these people, it isn't like Beyonce when she's like 13 or 15 or whatever. They're big stars at this point, too. Yeah, big stars. Scottie Pippen. I mean, I was bumping into... So your eyes are big right remember remember we had vip passes and a film crew to go in right into the clubs right into the vip area find the celebrities and interview awesome them. So, so how how's this feel for you you gotta love oh, it right I'm, I'm loving it love it i'm made for that i'm made for yes the, i'm made for the camera in front of me mm-hmm. you know what i mean i come alive I i'll come alive when the camera is in front of me so ralph mcdaniels when he saw the footage he couldn't believe it he was like you are fucking natural, man. So, uh, could we curse on here? Is that cool? You curse all you want. Oh, all right, cool. I'm trying. I've been trying not to curse that much in my vocabulary, so I'm, I'm working on that. So, been doing right on. So far. Well, and you know, know, I'm not going to hurt you on it. I oh, appreciate yeah, yeah. you uh, uh, keeping it yeah. real, brother. Yes. So, uh, so I come back from Miami, happy. What a great six. What a great trip. You know. Uh-huh. And then your parole parole officer, does she see this footage? So this is what happens. Mm -hmm. So my brother's film crew, their footage got lost or destroyed. So Ralph McDaniels tells me, hey, Al, you got the whole hour show. There's no you and your brother. It's all you. You're all the footage I got. Your brother's footage never came through. Oh, shit. So I get the whole hour hosting Video Music Box live in South Beach, Miami for Memorial Day weekend. It was Urban Fashion Week. It was fucking bananas. So the show gets aired. Video Music Box comes on at this time on Friday night at one o'clock in the morning. Okay? Yeah. It gets aired and everybody, everywhere I go in New York, people are stopping me. And he called me Al Dijon, crazy Al Dijon, on right. on the edit. This is Ralph McDaniel saying, let's take it to Miami Beach with Crazy Al Crazy Al Dijon. Yeah. Because I was acting wild. I was animated, you know. Yes. So, so Ralph, Ralph names me this nickname on this on this episode. Uh two weeks after it airs, I get called into my parole office. See my parole officer. Mm-hmm. And uh, she goes, How you doing? I'm like, I'm good, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Was she good. setting you up with that? I'm like, everything's good. She's like, yeah. She was like, okay. She's like, what'd you do for Memorial Day weekend? I said, ah, I went, mm. to, 
I went to a few barbecues. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and you did. As I, as I Smart. say this, as I say, I went to a few barbecues. Uh-huh. Another parole officer walks by the room and he stops and looks mm-hmm. in and goes, hey, crazy <laughs> Alan John. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, now, keep in mind, that's mm-hmm. not my last name. No. And, and for him to say crazy Al Dijon, click, I knew he seen this shit. Right. So, so she, I turned, but she I, hadn't then. She didn't say nothing yet. I, mm-hmm. When he did that, I turned, I look at her and she looks at me and she goes on top of her fucking, on top of her file cabinet and grabs mm-hmm. a big vanilla envelope with yeah. a tape inside it. Okay. She, she points to it. And she goes, you want to tell me again what you did for, for, for Memorial Day weekend? Okay, she knew. <laughs> and I said, and she goes, why, why do I wake up and put on the TV and see you with palm trees behind you? <laughs> and I'm like. All I'm Hollywood. Like, we were I'm in like, a, we were a like, warehouse in Brooklyn. I'm like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? She was like, Al, the, tat- <laughs> the tattoos gave you away. And she goes, she goes, you know something? You did a fucking really good job, she tells me. Yes. And I'm like. So she's proud right. of you. I mean, that's like, that's something like, yeah. to be proud of if you're a parole officer, right? Well, one of my people is actually really successful. Yeah. He's doing really good for himself. He's all over the TV. Yeah. So long story longer. Mm-hmm. It, she says, to this day, I know somebody mailed in that videotape to her. Okay, that's number one. Some hater. Some hater. Because... Thank God for haters. If she would have saw it, like she said she saw it, why she didn't call me in the next day? Why call me in two weeks later after it was aired to tell me that? But you're showing me a vanilla envelope that somebody mailed you to tape. (laughs) So you found out now, you know, it it don't take a rocket scientist to figure that shit out, that somebody mailed that to her. Now... I, I copped to it. I was like, yeah, you know what? I got a job opportunity to be on TV. And I knew if I would have told you, you would it was too it was too early. You wasn't gonna let me go. I, I wouldn't, you know, to go. And I, I just did it. Whatever. So she was like, listen, it's out of my hands at this point. Um the 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 supervisor already saw it. Everybody knows in this office. Um, so uh we're gonna see what's gonna happen to you now. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to go before the judge because you you went out of state without permission. Also, you were around now, alcohol and possible felons. Well, at, that, at, at that time, you know, alcohol wasn't an issue. That 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 okay. wasn't an issue. You know, it wasn't illegal for me to drink alcohol either. On parole, isn't it? Nah, not not supervised release with the federal system. That wasn't okay. a problem. They said we we don't recommend you drinking to an ex, to, to an excess. Okay. Basically, they're just telling you. You know, don't get drunk and fucked up that you're going to do something stupid and get locked up. But if, right, your parole, yeah. if your parole officer came to your house and I was saucy, there's nothing she could do. She can't violate me for that. It's not an illegal drug. Okay. They try to scare you with it. To, they did to deter you from drinking, but it's not, there's no legality to that. They can't stop you. That's that. So that's bullshit. Now, some state prisons, state parole stipulations could be different, but federal, right. federal supervised release. Alcohol is not an issue because it's legally it's alcohol is legal in the fe- by feds. 
Like right now, marijuana is not legally by, by the feds. You get it? Yeah, I follow. Alcohol, alcohol is. So anyway, um, Ralph McDaniels, the owner of the TV show and the host of the TV show, he happened to have a lot of friends who were parole officers in that in that building. He called mm-hmm. up. He reached out. He tried to tell them, you know. Kid's doing good. Yo, kid's doing good. You know, he did a great job. You know, I want to keep using him for a host. Did you give this guy a pass? Federal system's way different than the state. Once that paperwork went in, I had to go before the judge, and I go before the judge, and the judge sent me back in for six months. Oh, fuck. I lost the barbershop, and I lost the tattoo shop, and I came back out with nothing again. What about McDaniels? Uh, does he uh, does he so help you out? Is, that, are they still filming, or okay, is it taken time, over by your MTV I, reps? I come out of jail after six months, and Ralph McDaniels has a clothing store called Uncle Ralph's Urban Gear. Mm. Right next door to it was a beauty salon, and there was a Jamaican lady working there, renting it from him by herself. And there was there was six stick stations, and this Jamaican lady was just a hairstylist, and she needed help with the rent, so she was looking for somebody to take over the other three stations and to help her go half and half on the rent. So I went over there. I didn't have any money. And Ralph McDaniels and my brother gave me the, gave me half of the first month's rent so I could join that lady and be a partner in there. And that's what I did. And I went and made a sign. And I put the sign on the window of my old place saying I was back. And this is where I was. And little by little, I started collecting all my clients again and tattooing people again. And uh, I got back on my feet eventually. And Still I, Celeb Salon or uh, nah, now you're under it, her it, name? It, 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 was, it was her place. Yeah, it was her place. Um, you know, so that I, I did that for like, you know, I had the little room in the back and I had two stations. So what I did was I rented one station to another barber. I would cut hair in mine. And then when I had a little tattoo client, I would bring him in that little room and I would tattoo him. Now, after about a year and a half, Ralph McDaniels tells me, hey, Al, I'm closing the I'm closing my clothing store down next door. He was like, there's a lot of there's a lot of space in there. If you want to leave this lady and move next door and do your tattooing, and then you could do the barbers in there and you could still airbrush, because I was doing three jobs. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. airbrushing, yeah. the tattooing, and the cutting hair. That was my three little hustles. Um <laughs> I'm living in the Bronx at this time with my girlfriend at the time. So I'm taking the subway every day. I had no car, none of that. Um, So I end up leaving the lady from next door and going and taking over Ralph's place, the rent there by myself. I was never scared, you know, scared money don't make money. So I was never scared to try something. You know what I mean? No matter what it was. Yeah, I had to pay the rent by myself. Um, But I knew if I, if I came to work every day and I hustled and I, and I, and I, cut hair and I and I tattooed somebody and I airbrushed a shirt for somebody, you know, that'll uh that'll pay into something. Okay. Pay so 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 that that's what I did and, and it and it started working out and I and I and I was surviving and I was I was paying my bills, you know. Uh I eventually bought a when car. do you get the idea to I, you were a DJ for some time. Not a DJ. D, D, DJ never was really uh a career for me. That was a uh, I opened up a music studio. The story, okay. the story's heading that way now. <laughs> uh, 
you know, I'm telling you the whole story from day one to, to when I came out to, to where I ended up right now. So, 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 so now I'm in the, uh, I got my own spot and I named it a uh, tender touch tattoo. Now, remember, um, my friend shop was permanent touch. So I named this place uh, Tender Touch Tattoo Studio. And Wait, the one right next door was called Permanent Touch? No, no. Permanent Touch was my friend's tattoo shop. The guy when I came out of oh, prison okay. taught right. Jamie Half Shop. So I, I used that. and I, Doesn't I, doesn't Tender Touch sound like you're doing tugging rubs in the back room? Hey, you know what? I thought it was Tender Touch because everybody used to say I had a light hand when I tattooed. So I went with Tender Touch Tattoos. It worked out. I was making decent money there and I was airbrushing shirts. When mm. I was airbrushing these t-shirts in this in this place that used to be Uncle Ralph's Urban Gear. Now remember, a lot of rappers used to come by that place because they all used to support Ralph McDaniels because he was the founder and a host of Video Music Box. Okay. And, and, and in the meantime, my third, my fourth hustle was Ralph would send me to different clubs sometimes in New York City to host Video Music Box. So okay. you, asked about, you asked about my extra hustles. I was a I was a I was a VJ, I was a tattoo artist, I was cutting hair, and I was airbrushing t-shirts. Now, airbrushing these t-shirts, at that time, I don't know if you remember the white t-shirt era where everybody was wearing these fresh white tees. I remember a lot of airbrush on no, 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 fresh. Just, just a regular white t-shirt. You remember the white? Yeah, tea? I feel like everybody I did. wanted the fresh white tea. When you came out your house, you had to have a brand new white tea on. You threw the shit away after that. <laughs> okay, yeah. Did you? Right. And you you would you would fold the sleeves? No. Nah, like, nah. New York okay. City. They were in New York City. They were wearing the over the oversized three X white T shirts and the black tees. And you would go to Manhattan. Okay. You would go to Manhattan, and the Indian dudes would sell T shirts by like. Twelve dollars a dozen, twenty four twenty four dollars a dozen, and you will get you get a dozen white tees when you came outside to go outside for the night. You had the fresh white tee on with the white uptown sneakers, and you know after you wash it, after you wash a t shirt, that shit gets all fucked up and like you know worn out. You don't it don't look fresh no more. Anyway, I used to sell the white tees and black tees also. Okay. After after a while, I started airbrushing on them. So on the black tees, one day I took a picture of Biggie Small's face, and I only I only airbrushed the white highlights of where, what would shine on his face, so you could see the image of Biggie, but it was just right. the highlights. And I put them in the window on mannequins because I still had the mannequins. Because remember, this used to be a clothing store. So okay. Had, I had all the mannequins, and I was trying to figure out what to do with these mannequins. So I wanted to sell my own T-shirts and stuff. So I used the mannequins. And I just started airbrushing graffiti on T-shirts. And I started doing Biggie Smalls T-shirts on the black tees. One day, Mr. C, Mr. C, for y'all don't know who don't know who he is, he was raised in Brooklyn. That was Biggie Smalls DJ. Mr. Okay. C, Mr. C's driving up the block. Everybody look, he, everybody looks towards Uncle Ralph because it was to be Uncle Ralph. He sees the Biggie Smalls T-shirt. He gets out of the car, comes inside. He said, yo, who did that shirt? I'm like, I did that shirt. He was like, yo, that shit is fire. He was like, listen, I'm doing a, a magazine photo shoot for XXL Magazine and Biggie Smalls for Biggie Smalls anniversary death issue. Because I was his DJ, I would be on the cover 
I want to, I want you to make me one of these shirts. And I was like, I got you. So I oh, airbrushed air mm-hmm. this shirt. I airbrushed this Biggie small shirt for Mr. C. And he wears it and they do the photo shoot in XL magazine. He's on the cover and they do a spread inside. And he tell he says where he got the shirt from because they say sneakers by Nike. And then they had called me and they said, What's the name of my clothing, the brand? And I said, I said, Airwear, NYC. So I called it Airwear New York City. Because it's airbrush, you're wearing it. And they put okay. that on, they put that on and they put the address. And what was the name though of, of what name did you use? Was it Al Dijon or was it no no? The name of my clothing line, oh my name was Al Dijon. Always, okay, stayed, always, it's always Al Um, they put the address and air, shirt by Airway NYC, and they put the address sixteen twenty twenty two Bedford Avenue, Brooklyn, New York. All hell, all hell broke loose after this magazine thing came out. Really, first, first gates open up. You're busy as shit for them, or what? First, mm-hmm. first of all, all the stylists that that dress the rappers started coming to the shop and they, and every artist wanted a Biggie shirt. So I started mm-hmm. doing Biggie shirts for all the celebrities. I did I did a Tupac shirt for Nas, like all the stylists, L Cool J, I did a shirt for L Cool J, I did a shirt for- Are Rundle. you getting real pictures with these people too as I you got, do it? I have pictures of all of them. So I you have, gotta I be have, prepared for your next shop then at this I have, point. I, I got, I got Celebrity. my- Celebrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got my archives of every picture of all these celebrities, everything I'm telling you right now, I got pictures with them. Even when I was interviewing people in Miami, I got video footage of that. There's a whole hour episode, if you ever, you know, for Video Music Box. That's still well, when you put your podcast together. Yeah, I could, I could, I could add all that. You can anyway. link that shit together. Mm. Okay, so back to the story. 50 Cent gets a win to me. I do a shirt for 50 Cent. He wears them on 106 in Park. Long story longer, Airway NYC went from me doing one shirt for, for DJ Mr. C to me yeah. to me having a contract with Jimmy Jazz and in New York City where they were ordering $35,000 worth of t-shirts every month. Then it took me to Vegas, to the magic show. It took me away from tattooing. It took me off of Bedford Avenue. I had to wear, I had to rent a warehouse space in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. I stopped tattooing. I stopped cutting hair to concentrate Just making- on this clothing line called Airwear. And how could I hire and train people to keep up with the demand? Right. Yeah. Because this is all things hand- went well. Handmade. I made, I, I made a lot of money. I traveled all over the country. I went to Barcelona. I used to travel overseas. What do you go over there for uh, some some um, fashion event or what? Barcelona was called. It's called the Bread and Butter Show. It was like the magic show in Vegas. It's their it's their uh, clothing line convention where you come out with a line. Sean John was there. Ed Hardy was there at the time. Um, I made a ton of money. End up moving out of the Bronx, buying my own home, uh, remodeling this home in Long Island. Uh, end up having cars, having, you know, living comfortable. And uh, did you imagine this life uh, when you were younger? I, you know, this all happened by accident by by one T-shirt. So doing very well for myself. The clothing line had about a six-year run. 
I, you know, at that, at, at, by the end of the six years, people didn't, not know, bad for fashion, to be honest. People didn't want to wear them anymore. It got, it got old. It got out of style. Everybody had them. It wasn't popping no more. People moving on to the next thing. I tried to reinvent a couple of things. It didn't work. And I decided, what am I going to do now? Ironically, the store next door to where I used to have the tattoo shop on Bedford Avenue was available. And my friend, who was the landlord, Dominique, he said, Al, why don't you come back and open up a tattoo shop again? Now, keep in mind, at this point, everybody started getting tattooed. Right. When, when, I when left, these T-shirts drop off, now now there's a new crop well, of clients. Well, well when the T-shirt ever ended for me, everybody was getting tattooed now. When I when I left the tattoo industry, to when I left the tattoo game to, to pursue the clothing industry, I, there was nothing really going on. People were getting little bullshit shit off the wall. Right. It wasn't. It, it was boring to me. Nobody was coming in and talking about, hey, draw me a dragon, and I want this dragon across my back. It was very petty, small flash tattoos. And I, to me, it was boring, and it, I wasn't really interested into it. It wasn't. It was the industry wasn't booming like it is now, or like it, it was starting to. So by the time I had to run with the clothing line. Closed down the warehouse, shut all that down, but I still had my house in Long Island. I still had a lot of money saved. I invested well. I was like, what's going to be my next move? And I ended up going back to the same block where I started before I left to the warehouse for the clothing line and opened up a tattoo shop called Brooklyn Inc. Okay. Now, not select, now, not select now, salon anymore. That's no, nah, now it's Brooklyn Inc. I'm not cutting hair. No more cutting hair. It's Brooklyn Inc. Tattoo Just Shop. Because Miami Inc. came out. I saw that was popular. Everybody's getting into the tattoo game. I said, I'm going to open up a spot called Brooklyn Inc. And I opened up Brooklyn Inc. That became popular. There's a, uh, a college was built right across the street. I'm, I'm capitalizing off the college kids. Life is starting to get better again. Here you go. I'm I got a tattoo shop. It's making money. It's making a lot more money now than it used to when I used to tattoo there before because now everybody wants tattoos. Now it's very popular. Okay, boom. I'm back in the game. I'm happy Is this, now. Is this when Al Fliction is made too or this reinvented? Is what, this is the beginning of Al Fliction right then and there. Came back to the hood, opened up Brooklyn Inc. It started to blow up. Boom, 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 boom. I was like, you know what? I want to start going to tattoo conventions. I go to a tattoo convention in where do you um, go? Well, well, before this tattoo convention, I was I started going around doing tattoo parties in people's houses and <laughs> in, in, in Brooklyn. And I was like, you know what? I don't like going to people's houses, so people's houses are dirty, blah blah. I'm gonna get me a small RV and I'm gonna convert that into a tattoo parlor. And when people want a tattoo party, I'll pull up in that and you have your people coming here to get tattooed. So I, I follow bought, I bought an RV. It was called the Brooklyn Inc. The Tattoo Express, and I gutted out the back bedroom and I made it to a converted into a tattoo parlor. Um, I heard about a tattoo convention going on in uh in Manhattan and out in the Roseland Ballroom, and I pulled up in the RV right in front, and we all went in there and checked it out. And I was real big into Urban Inc. Magazine at that time. And I was looking to buy Urban Ink magazine, and the, on the magazine table there was no, no, no Urban Ink magazines there, and uh, I didn't see any artists of color 
tattooing in there. And uh, I didn't like the vibe. I didn't, you know, I asked, you know, how can I rent the booth here? And they were like, you know, you can't, you gotta be on the list here. And I'm like, wow, okay. So. Seemed like a boys club about, they didn't want to let you in on. About a week later, I get a call from Paul Gambino, who is the CEO of Urban Inc. Magazine. And he said, hey, Al, about this RV you got. We would like to we would like to feature you in the Urban Inc. Magazine. I said, you do? I said, I'll drive that motherfucker over so you can see it. And he hey, goes, hold up for a second, Al. Okay, never mind. Go on. He goes, he goes, you will drive it to us? I said, I'll drive it to you. Where you at? He goes, we're in Jersey. I said, I'll be there tomorrow. I pull up in front of the corporate headquarters for Urban Inc. Magazine. Paul Gambino, he comes down. Other other executives come down to check it out. They love it. They want to take pictures of it. They want to do a feature from my shop in Brooklyn. Shop uh, feature on the on the on the bus. Blah blah blah. So while I'm in this meeting with Paul Gambino, and this small, is where you begin thinking about buying the the actual magazine itself. No, that's years later, Kyle. Okay, we're, 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 jumping we're, ahead. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're way you you. That's years later. Right now, Urban Inc. magazine was popular. It had just came out, and I'm meeting. I'm meeting the, the editor-in-chief for the first time. Yeah, Paul Gambino. Paul Gambino, long story longer, his his babysitter was the same babysitter as my son. We both lived in Long Island. So we had a connection from day one. I told him, hey, Paul, why wasn't your magazine in this tattoo convention that I went to in New York? He was like, they don't want that magazine in there. They won't allow it. I'm like, wow, why is that? He was like, well, as you can see, Al, this is an urban magazine blah, blah, blah. They kind of like, they, they kind of like look down upon that. I'm like, wow. I'm like, why don't you do your own tattoo convention called the Urban Tattoo Convention? He was like, right. he was like, no, Al, that's very territorial. You know, that, that tattoo show has been going on for a long time in New York. It's ran by certain people. And, uh, you know, we don't want to cause any problems because by certain people, he most likely meant some kind of um, affiliated yes, people, right? right? right. Like, like whoever, either mafioso or, or gang. Yeah, yeah. Some, some. So whoever was doing that show, you know, you they don't want nobody stepping on their toes. If you try to do another show in New York, they're gonna definitely step to you. And uh, right, you know, what I'm saying because they were doing it at that time, 13 years already. So I get it, I get it. That's your thing. You don't want nobody else moving in. But I was like, but listen, it's urban. I told him. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they don't they don't want that crowd at their show anyway. And he was like, yeah. Al, Al, I just run a magazine. I don't get it to I don't get into stuff like that. I said, what about if I what about if I put together an urban tattoo convention? Will you advertise it in your magazines? He says. Where people, people, it'll look like it's coming from you, but even though I'm the one putting it together. So you'll you'll have the name. He's kind of giving you license. I'll the start. Name. I'll start the Urban Tattoo Convention, but he'll put the ad in his magazines and on his website. Well, he's going to charge you for that ad too, right? No, you get it this, free. Is the, this is the thing. I want you to give me free advertisement in your magazine, you know, on your website. People are going to think it's your, people are going to think it's the Urban Ink Tattoo Convention, but it's just the Urban Tattoo Convention, the UTC. Unity running beyond all nations. That's what we that's what urban stand for. Unity running beyond all nations. I started it so black people and people of color had a tattoo convention where they could go to 
and they could they could right. show they could show their artwork, they could win awards, they could feel what it's like to to be in a convention setting because a lot of the street artists didn't never been to one. They don't even know. Right. So, and the, and they're not invited they they don't seem to be welcomed at this other boys club where they're at. Exactly. What what kind of success do you meet when you have this convention? So first thing I did was I did the convention the same weekend that the other convention was going on. And I Oh did, my God. And I did it in Manhattan because I figured if there are some people in town for their show, maybe they won't mind coming to check mine out. Um, well, whoever it was that was affiliated, they got to be mad about this. They come they, and talk they, with you. They, they, they was, they, there was a couple of phone calls, but you know what? Um, it, 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 they just kind of stepped away and be like, you know what? You know, we, I was like, listen, this, this is our shit. You don't want us at yours. This, you know, we're not, we're not the crowd you want over there anyway. So mm -hmm. we're gonna do our thing and you do your thing, and 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 that's that's where it ended. And it squashed immediately. And it, yeah, it squashed immediately. I did it for three years in a row, and then we moved it to Brooklyn, and we did it another three years in Brooklyn. So it lasted six years. I did it for six years, then I decided not to do it anymore. Um, after the first two urban tattoo conventions, I get a phone call. I get a phone call from Spike TV. And they got my number from information as I was the promoter of the Urban Tattoo Convention. Okay. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, this is early. This is this is early. This is uh Jasmine from 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 Tattoo Nightmares used to rent the booth for me. Caesar from Black Ink, you know, Duchess wasn't even tattooing at these these days. These mm -hmm. you know, they people that go on to have these used, very yes, successful, right. illustrious exactly. careers. Exactly. You know, all them dudes. All of them used to rent booths from the Ur at the Urban Tattoo Convention. Um, Somebody was asking us about it this weekend. Yeah, Pete, Pete and Kubos, they gave me a call begging me to make a spot for Jasmine at that time because I didn't have no more space available. And they heard about, you know, this Urban Tattoo Convention. They were like, it's perfect for Jasmine. She's a Puerto Rican girl. You know, you know, you know Pete and Kubos, the Italian dudes? Pretty I don't sure think I do. I'm pretty sure you met them. They were like Jasmine's, you know, they she worked for their shops. Okay. You know? For years, and they they were like her little road crew, her little managers, and stuff like that. So yeah, right. so I got relationships with these people starting from then. I was the mouthpiece for the urban tattoo com com community movement, and uh, so I called Jackie Gracham. You know, she's the, the oldest black lady tattoo artist in the world. She's from New Orleans. I, I flew her up to New York. Like I, I, from I, New Orleans, she's yeah, also I, from I, Flint. Yeah, yeah, I flew. Okay. <laughs> I fly her in. I fly her in from New Orleans to New York. I'm, I'm, you know, this is a movement for me. It's like, hey, we here. We got enough artists. We're gonna do our own thing if nobody else wants us. That's basically what it was all about. I did it for two years. I get. A Can phone you talk call. about Jackie for just a minute to, to give an idea of the the heritage? Yeah, yeah, and, Jackie, and you know, Jackie Gracham uh, owns a tattoo shop called Art Accent down in New Orleans. Um, she's been down there forever. She she's eighty two years. She's been tattooing like I, don't, I think fifty something years. Um, she she's is. Back, she's back she's with a, the Ed Hardy guys, you know, Lyle Tuttle, Philadelphia yes. Eddie. She came up at a time when it was hard to be a woman in tattooing, uh, let alone woman. a black woman. It's, it's still hard for a woman. Imagine back then, let alone she was a black lady. But, mm. you know, she clicked with them. She was like, you know, she was this hippie gangster, you know, biker chick. And, and she, you know, she learned she was a good artist. And uh, they had a big biker a brawl out or something in front of her shop in New Orleans one day and somebody got killed. 
and the city of New Orleans banned uh they banned um they banned any tattoo conv- tattoo shops from being opened up in the in the French Quarter. But her place was still in there. Got grandfathered in. That's why to, okay. this day, to this day you only see you don't see no shops in the French Quarter. You got to step outside the French Quarter to see the tattoo shops. And I, I've been trying to contact her recently through her shop is the only way I went. But um, you tell me that it's it's closed yeah, down now. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, she got closed down because she didn't own the property. And then, you know, they, you know, gentrification, they're making they want to tear it down and build something new there. So, uh, yeah, she lost the place, man. It's sad. It's sad, man. That was that was like Piece a, of know, history. That was like, yeah, definitely. Definitely. That place was, you know, there for years. But um. Yeah, so I get the call from Spike TV. A lot of people don't know this about me, but Spike TV called me and they said, hey, we're doing a TV show and we're looking for urban artists in the, in the New York City area. Do you have anybody in mind? We know you do a tattoo convention. You must have a whole list of artists. Well, we do they find- not know that you tattoo as well no, then? They're going to know right now. So, <laughs> yeah, so, 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 so I go, what's this about? She was like, we're doing a TV show called New York Inc. And we're looking for artists. And I was like, I could give you a list of artists, but I was like, by the way, I'm an artist myself. They're like, you are. I'm like, yes, I'm a tattoo artist. And I'm also the promoter and the CEO of the Urban Tattoo Convention. They were like, wow, okay. Well, you know what? Add your name to the list. And um, we're going to, you know. It to them. Yeah. I, get, I get the call. They said they're interested in me. They come, they want to send a crew to interview me. They sent a crew to my shop in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Inc. Camera crew, they interview me. They love me. They were like, man, when they see this footage, they're going to love you. I was like, all right, yeah. whatever. It is what it is. I get a call back a few days later. They want me on the show. New York Inc. Ami James is doing it. Blah, blah, blah. They want well, They me. want you on the show, New York Inc. So uh, Miami Inc. already New- run a spinoff of LA Inc. and now New York Inc. at this point. Then. New York was something Ami James came up with because Ami James wanted to open up a shop. I yeah. guess I guess funds were low and he was reaching and man, like, fuck it. Let me capitalize on uh, doing a little a, a little show and as the grand opening of my place. And then my place is going to be popular after that. Boom. Right. OK, so. I did my contracts. I went to see, you know, the, the grueling process. I went to see the psychiatrist, everything. Mm. They were like, we're going to start filming in two weeks. You know, these are the dates you're going to be leaving, blah, blah, blah. About three days before I was supposed to go, they called me up and they were like, we're sorry, but they pulled you off. They were <clears> like, <throat> they were like, Ami, Ami just didn't, you know, he didn't like the vibe and you're not going to be on the show. Just like that. After I had told half the world. Right. After, yeah. After, like, like a dummy. After I had, you know, um, made, made, made plans and, you know, uh, not to be at work and, you know, all the stuff. Cause they told me I wasn't mm. going to be able to come back to work for a while while we were filming. Mm. Um, it was, so it, you, it, you it, lose it was, all your bookings. It, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a hit, man. It, it, you know, and I, and I, and it, and it hurt me. And, um, and I was like, damn, I should never open up my mouth and told anybody about this because now, look, I ain't going nowhere. I was upset. I was pissed off. Um, I just went back to work like normal. And I was like, fuck it. It is what it is. There's nothing I could do. Um, I was hoping I had got on the show because my my main concern was 
I'm already doing the Urban Tattoo Convention for two years already. If I get on TV right now, more people are going to know me and I can really promote the Urban Tattoo Convention more and I can build it up, probably build it to a level where it took me years to get it to instantly. Right. So I follow. So that's why, that is a, that's it's why not an was, easy realm to be competing right, in. Right. So that, that's why it was a letdown for me because I looked at it as an opportunity to build the show and build up the Urban Tattoo Convention bigger, faster. So that happened about a month later, I get a call from them again. And I'm like, what do you guys want? They were like, hey, listen, we're sorry what happened, but they want to put you on another show. I'm like, what are you talking about? Dad, there's another show we're doing. I'm like, yeah, what's this about? And they're like, it's called Ink Masters. And we're going to have people competing against each other. It's not a format like New York Inc. or LA Inc. I'm mm -hmm. like, what? What you know? What do you mean? What? You know? They were like, yeah, we're gonna put artists together. You know, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be like ten episodes, and you're all gonna compete against each other, and the winner wins a hundred thousand dollars. Completely like, new idea for you, but you don't I'm think like, it's gonna work. I'm like, I'm like, wow, that sounds cool, but I would have rather be on the show like New York Inc. where you come every day and you do work because. Everything you do is good. Mm -hmm. Everything you do is good in, in, in the viewer's eyes. It's not a show that they're going to be picking you apart and trying to make you look less than the artist or trying to make right. you look like you're not a good artist. Right. Hoping that, that you do that's bad. Like, that's, like, that's like tattoo nightmares is the dream job because you're taking somebody's fucked up tattoo and you're making it beautiful. Like in the public's eye, you're the, you're, you're the messiah. Right. You know, compared to an Ink Master episode where, you know, they pick apart a tattoo that you know they that that they zoom into mm -hmm. with a microscope and be like, look at this and look at that and look at that. And now 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 the audience is like, well, yeah, you know, he does got shaky lines. He does got this. You know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. so my my idea of being on the show was not that, but I said, you know what? For for the for for the love of the urban community and and to make this tattoo convention that I do bigger and better, I'm gonna get on this show because. It's gonna still give me an opportunity for people to make. I can make it. I can make it known, and and people people mm -hmm. gonna know about this convention. And that's why when I got on Ink Masters, and a lot of times you would hear me say, "I'm here for us. I'm doing this for us." You know, what I'm saying for the urban tattoo community. I was, you know, trying building that name as trying well. to reach out to the urban people from other cities to let them know, like, come to New York, come for this. This is going on here, and I was I was just using it for a platform. And uh, more, more, more for that than anything. And uh, when when you do get to the show, what was your first impressions? Well, before the show happened, I ignored all that. I didn't believe I was going to go on it. I wasn't. Okay. My, yeah, I you, wasn't, you'd I already was not, expected to get kicked off the day before. No, not, not not getting not getting my hopes up. Mm. Not, not, I wasn't believing it. Um, I signed the paper. I didn't tell nobody about it. I was like, if it happens, it happens. I didn't change none of my appointments. I didn't do nothing. I get a phone call one day and they're like, they're picking you up tomorrow. That's what I told everybody. Like, yo, I'm out. I don't know when I'm going to be back. Hold it down. I'm going to the show. They sent a car for me the next day. Sent me, it took me to the city. And, uh, and that was, that's how I got on the show. What do you, what do you, I mean, you're already used to cameras around you and in your face somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. But now this is on a whole different kind of, with the competition that adds a new level to it. How do how, what's what's your impressions? Like, how do you like feel? 
like now, now we get back to where we skipped off from when we first started talking. Where, where I told you, you know, when I got to the show, I was already a seasoned vet. Yeah. I love, I love being in front of the camera. I wasn't camera shy. People, are how's people. that? So that's pissing some people off right away. Then, am I wrong? Yeah, right away they were like, "Why is this dude so natural like that?" My biggest problem was, believe it or not, mm -hmm. I used to talk when I was talking. I would look at the camera. Oh, they don't want you to look at the they camera. They don't want you to look at the camera. Right. But you're but you're trained like a VJ. I'm trained, I'm trained <laughs> to look at the camera. So for a quick minute, that threw me off, but it didn't take me long before I was like, right, I got this. Right. It didn't get me long to know that, you know, the format of a reality show is, you know, the villain, the good guy. Did I, did I talk to somebody that said you were so good at it, they thought you were a plant? Yeah, they thought I was implanted. Billy Vegas thought they implanted me like I was like this there to stir shit up and to get them pissed off and all that because they never heard of me. Right. Now, and, remember, and you talk all this smack and you're so smooth yeah. with it. Yeah, you walk you I walk in I walk in this house and there's you know, I'm like, who are these tattooers? I thought, you know, what do I know about the industry? I wasn't doing conventions or nothing at that time. I never only conventions I did was mine. And when you I went, got your spike shades at that point too? Yeah, I got all that. I got all this. That was now, this is before got Lady Gaga's even a, a name, though. Am I wrong? And she was out at that time, and the lady that made my glasses was also making hers. Made hers. It's okay. Just, just a coincidence. Just on the stylist, I had my own stylist, so my stylist was the one who dressed me and got the glasses and actually created the whole look for Al Fliction. And when does Al Fliction then become around that same time? You guys decide to have. You're my name. They were already called hero they, or what? They were, call, they were calling me Affliction before when I started my tattoo conventions. Who's who starts calling you this? Um, I owned a tattoo shop, another shop in uptown in um Washington Heights in the Dominican area, mm -hmm. and, the name, and the name of the shop was Tattoo Affliction, Affliction like the clothing line. Right. It said tattoo. So of course. It said tattoo affliction outside in in like old English letters. Um, so it's very easy transition. Yeah, it's hard. You know, there was a Dominican, there was a Dominican uh, cab stand next door, and uh, they used to hear everybody call me Al, and for some reason they thought the name Affliction was said Al Affliction because the L's, you know, it gets you confused <laughs> with those old English letters. So they used to be Affliction, Affliction, give it up, get okay, get okay, Affliction, Affliction. I didn't get that. Did you try again? Hello. <laughs> you still Here's what I got. Yeah, yeah, I'm there. I think I think your uh, your Alex is going crazy on you. Yeah, my story just tried to talk here. All right, okay. so so that's how it started. The Dominicans started calling me affliction, affliction. Oh yeah, dime lo loco, okay, okay, ay, la, la, la. and yeah. and it stuck. It stuck. Affliction. I liked it. It sounded like affliction, like the clothing line, which I loved at the time. I used to wear a lot of affliction T-shirts and all that. Um. And, that, and that's how the name was born. So by the time I did my tattoo conventions and stuff before Ink Masters, uh, mm -hmm. that was already my nickname, my tattoo nickname. And you come up with this as a character with your stylist and everything. She 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 created the style. She created my the, the fashion, all my clothes, all the different looks, right. the Converse sneakers, the spike glasses. Where, where do you run into a stylist? What what person? Now, decides now, that they're like, goes, okay, I'm a tattoo goes. artist. All right, here I'm going to need a stylist. All right, I'm going to be on TV. I need a stylist. Now, remember, I'm in the entertainment business long enough around celebrities and stuff to know how they work and how they move. 
Now, now stylist is important. Yeah, of course. If you rewind the tape now that I just finished telling you about, there was a time that I was doing the airbrush shirts for all the celebrities and who was coming to see me was their stylist. Okay, yes. So you've got a a plethora of these people. Right. All the rappers and stuff have their personal stylist. If they're watching TV and they see some, they call their stylist. I'm like, yo, you see that shirt that Mr. C got on in Double XL magazine? That Biggie shirt? Yo, I want one of them things. And it's her job to fucking find that shit and get it for him because he wants it. So so I had a relationship with stylists already. So as soon as I found out I was going to be on TV, I didn't want TV to dress me. And I know that's how the game goes. Cause they're gonna pick, they're gonna pick the characters, they're gonna look at you and they're gonna be like, let's make this guy the bozo wearing a bow tie. Let's make this guy the guy in the overalls. Let's right. Put, let's put tight pants on this guy and make him look kind of like a nerdy kind of, you know, black dude. No, 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 no. You're not gonna do that to me. So when they called us in for for for, for to see the stylist for my season of Ink Masters, I showed up with all my own looks. And they were like, what's all that? And I'm like, this is my looks. They were like, you got your own stuff? I got, I got my own stylist. This is what I wear. This is me. And they're like, So they oh, love it, though. Well, they got, well, it like, made their job so, easier. Nah, well, first, they had they had, they had, had something in store for me already. And what, were they gonna, what was Alflixon going to do? Yeah, some bow tie wearing bullshit. Are you shitting me? Actually, in one of the in one of the, in one of the episodes when they interviewing me, if you watch, I got a bow tie on with a cut-off sleeve shirt. What, like a Chippendales yeah. dancer shit? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Your other job, let's be honest, your other job. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a minute. <laughs> um. Anyway, so that's how I got on the show. That's how the look for Affliction was created. Yeah, and, I kind of recommend that to kids that are trying to apply it to go on and, those, and, the know, show, and I, is to I have know, their I, own... I, I, mm-hmm. I, I knew how TV works. I knew how the format was. When I got on the show, long story longer... I used it for my advantage. I was like, these people are scared when the camera comes around. I'm not gonna be scared when the camera comes around. I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give enough, I'm gonna give them enough material that when they go in the editing room, they're gonna have to use mostly me because these people ain't putting out nothing. And that's and that's that hence that's how I'm most memorable for my season. Even though I was only there for four episodes, I'm more memorable than the next guys that were there for all, all 10. Because I had punchlines, I said funny stuff, and I was the villain. And you know, mm-hmm. everybody everybody remembers the villain. That's the artist that you love to hate is the villain. Because as much as I hated Omarosa on the show uh, of The Apprentice, if I saw him in the street, I'm gonna run up to her and I want to take a picture with her. Right. You know, more more of- so than maybe some goody two shoes that might have even won or that you were behind or supporting. Exactly. So. Here I am now, still doing tattoo conventions. Chris Nunez, one of the judges, he said, look, stay in the loop, go to shows. You know, keep your face out there. Let the people get to know who you really are. They're not going to like you by watching the show. But when they meet you in person, they're going to know who you really are. He was like, let them get that bad taste out their mouth by watching you on TV. Go to all the conventions. Stay out. Change their opinion. Meet the people. And that's exactly what I did. And that's exactly what I still do to this day. I'm still doing shows. I do 24 shows a year. You know better than anybody else. And and I'm, you I'm, I'm outside. and Nunez have a friendship. We have a friendship with both Latinos. Still you know, pisses me off. Maybe that's what it was. 
Hey, listen, Oliver. Well, Peck, you got friends I, in Miami. He's Oliver, got friends I, in Miami I, too. Oliver, right? Pe- Oliver Peck didn't give me the time of day, but he did with you. Did he? No, I didn't get no time. You, were, you weren't friends with him? You weren't good? You, no. you, you guys didn't conversate? No, you didn't get along with Oliver? No, I think he got mad at me one time because he was waiting outside the door. And uh, I made a cut on him using a toothpick to cover his lisp. And I think mm. he took it kind of per- it, was, it was a rude cut. I was in a bad yeah. spot, though. That was well, on season four. I was, my brain was breaking. And people, everything was just irritating me. And then he comes in right after that. And I'm like, oh, fuck, this fucker was right outside the door when I said that shit. Now he's going to, you know. Well, he didn't give you no time of day, though. But we find out in the future that there might be another reason for that. Yeah. Did you have any suspicions of something like that? I mean, you've already dealt with uh, a boys club of sorts that doesn't, that by based on the color of your skin almost or your likes and dislikes of culture that you, you're not wanted in. Say that again? Sorry. Well, you've already dealt with this going through the, with Urban Inc., with the formation of the Urban Inc. Um, tattoo convention, or the Urban Tattoo Convention. But it was formed because you already dealt with people not wanting to have you in based off the color of your skin or the uh, the characteristics of your culture. Right. So th- this did you get any of that kind of vibe? You say that um, little racist Ali didn't give you. Uh, I love calling him that. I should probably stop. But uh, you yeah. say that Ali didn't give you kind of any time of day. Do you feel know. like that was a, a I reason? Or? I, don't, I don't know what his deal was. I mean, he just seemed like some people on the set he would conversate with, you know, sit down and mm-hmm. chop it up with. And then some people he didn't. I, I would try to right. conversate. I would try to conversate with him once in a while, but it, it wouldn't go so far. He wasn't too interested in conversating with me as he was with certain other people. I get it. Right. I think Nunez, he knew like him how, and James Bond were friends prior. That's how, I think. that's how Nunez was with me. Nunez Nunez was cool with me, but Nunez wouldn't talk to some other people like he would me. Maybe right. we had more we had a little more in common. Maybe we both Latinos. We both from Miami. I knew some of the people he might know or whatever. So Well, you were in a graffiti movement. In New yeah. York at one point too. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And he was a graffiti kid down in Miami, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, me and me and him. I mean, we clicked, you know, since day one. We was cool with each other. I never had a problem with him. What about uh, other contestants there? Shane O'Neill, Tommy, James, everybody Josh. Was cool. Everybody was good. Everybody was cool, man. I got along with everybody. It was only ten of us, and mm-hmm. uh, and I'm still friends with all of them to this day. You know? Did you guys? Did you? I, I recall you being. What? Talking shit. Am I wrong? Oh, <laughs> Against I, I, these same people that we were oh, friends. Oh, God, the Did, one I talk, the one I argue with the most and talk mm-hmm. the most shit with Tommy Helm, me and him, my I lived in Long Island at that time. His shop was five. Right. That's where day. he's at. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used to go visit Tommy every day when we after we got home. Me and Tommy, I think me and Tommy were closer than I was with anybody else on the show. <laughs> and he's the one that we, I would bullshit and argue with on the show the most. What, did you guys know each other prior to that? No, no, not at all. Okay. But no. you guys both have that same kind of New York mentality, so it's yeah. easy to talk, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. We both graffiti artists. He's a big graffiti artist, Tommy. Yeah. And um, you guys yeah. just like bitching each other on the we subway. Knew, we knew we knew as soon as we got on set that we lived right next to each other and I was gonna we were gonna see each other. So right. you know, that's like being in prison. In prison, guess who fights? Guess when you hear about a fight in jail, guess who's fighting? Two friends. Somebody new. Two friends? Two friends? Okay. Two friends. It's always dudes that hang out with each other that get into the fights. 
So me and Tommy, from day one, we became real close because, oh, shit, you from my neighborhood. I'm going to see you. You're going to see me. But people didn't know that that were watching the show. So we became so 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 close so quick that we get into those stupid arguments. And it was it, it, it sounded like it was 100% real. But two seconds later, me and Tommy are laughing about it. Okay. Right. They're just okay. cutting those bits. Yeah, yeah. Like, like everybody else was scared to get into an argument with me like that because they thought maybe it was going to turn into something with the hands. But me and Tommy was having fun with it. So your best friend, Nunez... Coolest guy you've ever met. Why you keep met. saying best friend? What what's this best friend thing? <laughs> he tells he tells Come you on. to get out in the countryside and meet people. Is that now you you get your RV back out on the road? Then I remember the RV yep, with yep. big old picture of your face yep. on the side of mm -hmm. it. Touring touring the country, touring doing doing going to conventions with the RV. Doing the Carlton. Doing the Carlton. And that's where I meet you. You meet me. On the road at conventions. Yep, yes, that was uh, okay. ap that was after my RV days. You had already gotten rid of that. Yeah, that, you, you that, weren't going that. to conventions with the RV. Yeah, I used to go to conventions with the RV. Actually, World okay. Payment used to sponsor me at that time, also with the old RV. Okay, and then you ended up working for World Famous again, putting but never even stopped. better. Honestly, that got mm -hmm. better and better. Each yeah. one of your little homes on the road got better. Yeah, then I got the bigger RV, you know. And then crazy. we got the best home, but it wasn't on the road. It was on the ocean. Yes. Then uh, that all turns into me working with World Famous, selling the ink for them, being a distributor for them, still doing shows, all the villain art shows. Um, you and Candy, you know, meeting you guys. You guys had the RV. I was like, I'm going to do that too. As soon as I get my new one, you, you get rid of yours. I thought we I thought we were gonna tour together and um that didn't happen. But, but even better because it made you want to bring us on that boat. The boat. You want to get big to this boat, boat. boat. Dude, that thing. boat. You you blessed my life with that hundred percent. Like uh anybody you know might ever mm -hmm. you know, Lou was like, Hey Al, you know, we're gonna launch this ship. Um, I want you to be on there. Why don't you get somebody else from one of the one somebody else from one of the seasons of Ink Masters? And you know, mm -hmm. first one that came in my mind was you. Because I was already touring with you and Candy. Me and you and Candy already spent a lot of time with each other. It's not like I'm going on the ship with somebody I don't even know. And who deserves it more than Kyle Dunbar? You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. There you go, Val. And give me a chance to to make it, you know, your best friend Nunez an afterthought. Exactly. My best <laughs> my, shout out to my best friend Nunez. Our budding bromance on the romantic uh, virgin voyages. Yeah. Awesome time. I, I I really appreciate it. And that is one of the places where I learned something um, that I still, uh, I don't know that it'll ever change. I've learned from the Virgin Voyages to never doubt a fucking word that comes out of your fucking mouth. <laughs> I'm I, I would ever, I, I would have never figured because you have some stories and you're always figuring this guy's got some hyperbole. So maybe you do. Maybe there is. I've, but then you're you're talking about languages. Who is it? We were talking about one religion or something. I, I end up meeting some dude on board and I'm tattooing him and his his girl. There's some kind of swingers or something like that. And he's also in some kind of practicing uh voodoo, barakwo or something. You know better than me. Does it have you, you, you he, was talk, he, was talking, I, he was talking about Santeria Santeria. Okay. 
and he is some guy. So I'm like, ah, oh, hey, you know about and and like I thought that I was testing you on your world knowledge because you talk so much shit about knowing so much. And you ended up talking to this guy in a whole fucking different language about that very religion. And you're like ordained in it and you can marry chickens or something. <laughs> <laughs> no dogs. What do, what do you, oh, man. No, you can man. reanimate the dead for a short period of time to do your bidding. You're a funny dude. No, man, no marry, no damn chickens. Is no, it was weird. That's why, and that wasn't the only time I figured that out. Like the whole time we would meet so many very different people and to overhear your conversations of them with vast intelligence and, and the lack of ignorance, I would say, about so many subjects, I was really impressed. I learned never to doubt you. Yeah, well, a lot of people always like hear my stories and things I say and think I'm bullshitting, but I do have a, a lot of stories and it's all true shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the only thing that made me doubt you recently was was meeting um your son and saying the same thing in front of him. And I saw him roll his eyes a little bit like, oh, my dad. So I was like, oh, awesome. Cool. Because if anybody knows the truth, it's your family. Yeah, my son knows what's up. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk to me then about story uh it, it, before you were ever a tattoo artist before you were an artist so much um let's talk about getting malaria <laughs> so we, we, you go, uh, it's a little bit off a topic perhaps but that is the name of the show let's go from squid ink to coolest time of my life uh to one of the worst times of yours yeah well you know what man uh my father his mother is from the island of Haiti, and um, that was my grandmother. And when I was a kid, she would stay in Brooklyn for six months, and she would go to Haiti for six months. And my father would send me some time to visit her in Brooklyn. She never knew English. You know, I would visit her for the day. You know, maybe my mom would take me to see her. And uh, Could you speak with her? I, I, I couldn't speak at that time. That was when I was young. My mom would take me to see her for the day, and and then as I started getting older, my father said, uh, you know, he knew Brooklyn was was a wild place to be, especially in the summer when we wasn't in school. So my dad, my dad would send me to Haiti sometimes for a month in the summer. Is that logic not a little messed up? Am I wrong? What's, what's that? That Brooklyn is a rough spot. Yeah. During the hard times, I will send my son to Haiti. You know it, what? You know what? It, it seems it, it, it was uh, counterintuitive. You know, well, you know, in Haiti it was better than Brooklyn because it's a poor country, but we weren't poor. And you were living good there. Yeah. We had maids, you know, you live, you live like you're a millionaire in that country. At least we were. So, so, so now the old. truth really comes out too. It's something I hadn't known before and something that, that makes our friend Yalzi right. I'm from royalty in Haiti. <laughs> oh my I'm, God. I'm, you I'm, I'm royalty. mother. I'm, I, I'm, I'm I, I, this is like coming to America or something. Am I going to go over to Haiti and Silver there's going to be spoons. people that bow Silver. at your feet? You're on the dollar bill and shit. Yep. Getting back to Silver Spoons, brother. <laughs> Getting back to the... So you always yeah, claim you know that I mean? Yalzi's dad is super rich and that's how he can gallivant about the country yeah, well, getting tattooed by Horiyoshi. Yeah, but the, yeah. And he always claims the exact opposite on you, that your dad's rich. Yeah, yeah. And here now we find out the truth. Listen, you could be rich in Haiti with $50 mm -hmm. in your pocket, Kyle. It's not it's not what you're thinking. You know what I mean? 
Well, and still, I'm I'm imagining the scenario you go, where we you grow can, up you friends. Be, listen, you and, work and, in, and I'm the Carlton to your Richie Rich. You could work in Seven Eleven here in this country and be rich in Haiti. I mean, okay, you no, know, it, it is what it is. Um, yeah, but anyway, I used to go there. I went back when I was 18. Long story long, I caught. I, you know, I, I drank the water. I got sick. I caught malaria. Couldn't leave. <laughs> couldn't leave the country. No, you're trying to do long story short. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. can we talk? How, why do you get there? You you want to talk about it? You can't talk about it. You don't want to talk about it. It's emotional for you. Then your what? dad get tired of your ass and say, "Listen here, you little." You yeah, little like, yeah I, 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 was, I was being bad, bad teenager in Brooklyn. My mom was telling my dad about it, and my dad was like, "I'm gonna send you out there, and um, and uh, you got you got a two way ticket. You can come back whenever you want. Grandma's over there. Go out there, you know." Take a break from the from from all the havoc you're causing in Brooklyn, and mm. uh, and I went out there mostly to see my grandma. And then when I got out there, I got sick. She took all my money. I couldn't Wait, leave. I couldn't your leave. Grandma my, took all your money. Yeah, she took my money I had in my suitcase, and uh, she was like, "No, you know, your father said you have to stay here for six months." And I was like, "What are you crazy?" As so, a punishment. Uh, yeah, like you know, I want you to see. You know, they, they that old school parents thought that, Kyle. They thought like, you know, let's throw this kid, you mm -hmm. know, over there, and he's gonna, yeah, like you catch him smoking. We're gonna make him smoke this uh, whole it'll pack. Nah, it'll straighten him up over there by seeing what poor people really live like. Maybe he needed a break. They always think by sending you away that it was gonna change you and and and, and rescue you, and you're gonna come back a good kid. I just get so, done watching a, a special you know, on old, uh, old school Chris parents. Yeah, Chris old school Rock parents, did the same thing to his daughter. Old school parents always feel that it's the environment fucking you up. Well, what was the result? Was it did this make a change? No, not at all. Okay. Okay. I was the kid that your parents told you to stay away from. Mm -hmm. I was well, that, that changed. I never met that guy. No. Well, you it should, wasn't this, it wasn't this trip to you, Haiti that, that did should, that though. You should stay away from me. Run. <laughs> I try to learn. So, yeah, I caught malaria, man. Almost died over there. Was stuck over there. The country was in a coup. They took over the government. Nothing new Nothing new for Haiti. That's cool. That's so cool. your two-way ticket turns into a one-way. One-way ticket. I was sick. I lost a lot of weight. Came back to New York. I mean, I got well, No, no. How do you even get out of there? Because the, everything <laughs> shut down. You say there's a coup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I couldn't Everybody leave. wants to leave. Yeah, couldn't leave. No planes going out the country. I was stuck there for three months. Um, I wouldn't with eat malaria. Any, yeah, I wouldn't. I had fever every day. Once in a while, I would, you know, I would get the strength to get up um, and walk a little. I would get up, try to get the phone. The phone never had a dial tone, so I was trying to call my mom. I couldn't. Uh, I wouldn't eat nothing because I thought everything, I thought what I ate got me sick. So I was losing weight really quick, fever all the time. Finally, uh, my grandmother was like, we got to get this kid out of here and send him like uh, somewhere to another family of ours here where they speak English and maybe they could talk to this kid and explain to this kid he needs to eat or, okay. or ask him what the fuck he, does he want to eat because I wasn't eating nothing. I was like on a food strike. So you didn't know it was the water. I didn't you know, start I, drinking I, the water. No, no. I, I, who knows? I don't. I don't even remember about what the hell I was drinking at that point. 
All I know is I was really sick. I was really weak. I had fever all the time. And it was very. They, they very, get you to a friend's house then? They got me to a family's house and they had two kids who were a little younger than me, two boys. But this family used to live in New York. So they all spoke English. So right away they were like, what's wrong? And I told them, listen, they got poison in their food over there. I'm not eating none of that. They had, you know, a more modern house. So she took me to a store. They they call it the import store out there. And she would, uh, she took me there and she let me pick stuff I want. And you, you know, you found things that they sold here in the States, you know, right away. I was young. I was like, I want the cereal, you know, yeah. frosted flakes. I want that, that peanut butter jelly, you know, the basic shit. She got me all that. I, I started eating again. I, I would have a little more strength sometimes. And then sometimes I get weak. Sometimes I'd be outside sitting there watching the kids play and uh and the two little boys who were my younger cousins, I would tell them, listen, I I I gotta go upstairs, I'm weak again. So they'll they'll put their arm, my arms around their shoulders and they'll they'll help me get back up, put me in the bed. It was it was just it was just Mar- malaria is one of those things you pretty much just gotta pass too. Is it yeah, it, it, it kind of stays with you forever. Really? Yeah, when I get when I get like if I get the flu or something, I gotta be careful because I get it really bad. You know, like COVID ain't got nothing on malaria. No. Like, yeah. You COVID, had both. Yeah, yeah. I, I I guess I had COVID if it's even real. I think it's just <laughs> I think it's just a flu. But well, after malaria, maybe you think you uh yeah, got the I antibodies. I, I must. I freaking must because that malaria lasted like three fucking months, man. Three months of fever off and on and throwing up and like come on. That 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 you know. I would love so you to, get a, would, a ride to I would the love airport. To, I would love to see the stats in Haiti mm-hmm. and in Africa on people who died of COVID because those people's immune system over there is totally different than ours. These people will go drink drink water out of a puddle in the street and not not get sick. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I would love to know the statistics of 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 COVID. I bet you it was non-existent in Haiti or like in parts of Africa. You know what I'm saying? You never heard nothing, but never heard nothing about them countries. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think I heard that most third world countries were doing pretty poor with it, but I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, you know, whatever. I will say that uh, I don't know. That's all. Anyway, I, I ended up. You, you know, get a ride in a truck back to the airport. Yeah, they, they, to the airport. They got they got me on standby. I get to the, you know, they, they send me with like one of the maids, this young kid. You know, in the back of the truck or in the cab? The, back of the pickup, back of the Jeep, bouncing up all over the place. He drops me off to the airport. He brings me to the counter. The airport's closed. He said, they're going to wait. They're going to open up at eight in the morning, the airport. He said, stay right here. He what leaves. time is it? It's like seven o'clock in the morning. It's still like dark outside. Okay, he so another hour. Leave, they're, they're, he leaves. They're maybe it, it could have been six or whatever. I know I fell yeah. asleep. He leaves me with, with my bag right in front of the... Uh, the counter, I end up falling asleep there on my bag. I had fever. Yeah. I wake up and there's a line out the airport behind me. I'm the first one. The lady goes, mm. can, I help, can I help you? I was like, I'm trying to get on standby. This is my old ticket. I'm from New York. I need to get back home. She was like, all right, you're going to be on standby. I was like, let me ask you something. Do they do they call it by like who was here first? Or does it, does it, or does it just, they randomly yeah. pick. Do they randomly pick? She says, "No, no, you know, it could go, it could go either way." And I was like, "God damn it, I'm not, I'm not gonna get out of here." Now remember, no cell phones. I'm 18 years old. I got fever. If 
if I don't get on this plane, uh, I'm going to be living in the airport because there's nobody for me to call or nothing. Right. So sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And uh, they're going to have to they're going to have to get upon themselves to try and even check on you to know whatever might have come. I guess so. I don't know what would have happened to me if, if I didn't get out of there. So anyway, I see the airplane pull up on the runway. I see the American Airlines there, and I'm like, uh-huh. I'm like, God damn, I'm so close, but so far. I'm sitting there in those countries. You walk through the, you know, you walk on the field. You know, the air, mm-hmm. the airplane right. walk up the steps. There ain't no tunnels or nothing and shit. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm in, I'm in there with a thousand fucking people. You know, like a thousand people trying to get out this country, man. And one fucking airplane right there, and uh. The person, the, the lady goes, okay, everybody with tickets on this side, everybody on standby with that side. Standby, yes. standby was packed. I said, I'm, I said, man, I hope they call by order, man. So they, they call everybody with tickets. Everybody's walking to this airplane. I'm looking at them like, man, I'm about to make a run for it. <laughs> Jump in the cargo. Got to get the fuck out of here, man. So, so all of a sudden they go, okay, now we're going to call for standby. The first name is, and they call my name, and let me tell you something, man. I ran out that fucking door so fast. I'll never forget walking on that runway, and I'm looking back at that at that country. I can see the mountains there. I'm like, I ain't never coming back here. I ain't <laughs> never fucking coming back here. And I got well, did my, did you have your bags with you? Just leave. Yeah, I got that one bag. I, I, mm-hmm. I would the bag was empty. These people mm-hmm. in Haiti, the poor people, they take everything that you come with. They make you promise. Every different person made me promise to give them something when I left. <laughs> this one wanted my sneakers. This one wanted my underwear. This one wanted my, my socks. This one wanted this. I, I, I left yeah. with I felt so bad for these people that I left with nothing. I had a, I had like nothing in the bag. So um, so I get on the plane. Yeah, you I, don't care. You're getting home. Yeah, yeah. I get on the plane. I tell the you know, well, half the clothes didn't fit me no more. I was. Freaking 40 pounds lighter. I was like a crackhead. So um, I probably got like some bamboo shit and the palm leaves tied around my waist at this point. What's your dad say to you when he sees you again? Oh, he didn't see me for a while because as soon as I got on, I got uh, got on the plane, the first thing I asked for the flight attendant, please, do you have any food? I'm starving. At that yeah. time, they, they used to give you the little meals on the plane at that time. Little chicken. You know, you got the little brownie. They were kind of okay. like little little TV dinner looking things, but mm-hmm. uh, the little bread. So I went off, man. I went off, and I'm 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 munching up. I'm eating this shit, and then mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, uh, I got back to Brooklyn, and my brother and I was at the airport. They picked me up. They looked at me. My brother started crying because how skinny I looked and how sick I looked. They took me straight to the hospital. Did they have any idea that this was your situation? Until no. they saw you that moment? Nah, they didn't know the stories, man. They didn't know. Right. They know. All they know, I was trying to get home. They just know I was trying to get home. And once in a while, when you pick up the phone in Haiti at that time, you would get a dial tone. And it was very, very, you are very rare you get a dial tone. And once you got the dial tone, you pray that it didn't hang up and you got an operator in Haiti and you ask her to dial you out. Ask her to dial the number. And that's the only time you would get through. So I would... I, it was daily routine for me. Every like half hour, I would walk by the phone and pick it up to see if I get a dial tone. So they did have some idea you're trying to make it back home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, mother, those my, calls mother, my mother knew I was sick. I got through okay. got through one day and I called my house and my, my my nobody was home. And it was one day I got the dial tone. This, my mother didn't know yet I was sick. 
So I, I, the, the operator hung up. She was like, I'm sorry, sir, there's nobody answered. I said, please, just try one more number. These days, you remember a few numbers. You know them by heart. So yeah. I, knew my, I knew my brother's number. I called his house. My sister-in-law picks up the phone, and I tell her, I'm like, Nilda, Nilda, don't hang up. Don't hang up. It's me, Al. She's like, what, what? How are you? You having a good time? I was like, no. I'm stuck here. They're trying to, my father's marooned me here. I can't leave. The government's killing people. You know, I'm sick. I got malaria. Tell mom she got to get me out of here. She got to do what something. What was that? It was, the, was it the government was killing people? I mean, there's a coup yeah, going yo, they, on. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. going on. They were killing they were killing people in the streets. They were throwing tires over people and burning them in the streets. These people were walking over dead bodies with groceries in their hands. Like, it was nothing. What it's do you mean cold. tires on them? While they were alive, they would put yeah, tires on them? Throw the tires or you and burn the tires. And you would die in the middle of this? Yeah, right rubbery. there in the middle of the street. Burnt bodies in the street. People, kids playing baseball and basketball and dead bodies right there. Like, they have no care in the world over there. Death to them is nothing, especially if you was a bad dude. And these are all dudes who worked for the government that used to be brutal to people. That after okay. the government, after they got rid of that government, they were like, fuck you. Fair, fair fucking game on all those officers who used to work for them. So that 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 that's that's how it went down. They used to call them, they used to call them Makuts, Toto Makuts. These are like the police force for the president who used to go kill people and torture people. And then the president fled the country and left all the motherfuckers to fend for themselves. And the mm. people, the people just found out where they were, and most of them knew where they lived, and just went and just murdered them, murdered them, cold blood. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It almost yeah. seems karmic, I guess. Yeah, crazy man. So you know, I got out of there, thank God. And um, you ever want to travel other places? Yeah, does you that, know, does that ruin I'm funny, I'm funny about I'm funny about that third world country stuff, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. It. You know what? <laughs> you know what? People don't know that until you travel and you go somewhere like that. But you you're safe here, believe it or not. You're safe in this country. Stay away from the third world countries. They don't have no no regard for life. They don't care. And, and I think it just got worse through the years. You know, with this this uh human trafficking. All the shit that goes on these days, you know what I mean? I do. Yeah, so. But to get me back to the point, this is how stupid my podcast is, man. Too bad I couldn't edit it better. All right. <laughs> well, I want to, I, I, I need to let you get back to your day. I always find yeah. everything you yes. tell me so riveting, though, that I yes, jump sir. around from place to place. Yeah. But I really still need to ask you about pasties oh. and a camel toe in episode three. What was that? Hasties and a camel toe. Hasties and a camel toe. Episode episode three, you were the flash winner. And you painted a model in 3D to make him like disappear or something, no? Oh, Hasties right, and right. a camel toe must have been the name of the episode. Yes, yes. Oh, so you're talking about on a flash. It sounds like something either you or James Vaughn said. So probably James Vaughn. That, that was James Vaughn. I didn't say that. <laughs> That was the flash challenge where we had the the people, the women came all naked and they were all like painted in white when we had to use black and gray paint to do something on them to make them look real. Yeah, this was a challenge. It was right up your alley. Yeah, I just, you know, I, um, I actually used to read books in prison about lighting, Rembrandt lighting, 
Um, Rembrandt lighting is three-quarter lighting, either coming from 2 o'clock or 11 o'clock. And it leaves like a triangle piece of light on one side of your face. Even photographers to this day, that's what they use for um for uh for, for lighting when they when they when they when they light up their models. And um so everybody when these models came in, everybody just started drawing tattoos on them and stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? They wanted us to make these 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 white models look like they're alive. Well, let me just I wanted to shine the light. So it looked like the light was coming from one side of her in the Rembrandt style lighting. So there was there was studio lighting on the ceiling. So I moved her body around. I was like, listen, just stand right there. And I caught the lighting and I told her, don't move. And I just painted the dark side on the side of her with the triangle light on her face. So everywhere she moved, it looked like that light was shining from that one direction, which is three quarter lighting, Rembrandt lighting. And yeah. The judges thought it was, you know, something out, out you know, off, it fit the challenge and one out, out, the, out the box. It was something different, and it was gradient from dark to light, and you know, it was different yeah. and it worked. And um, and that's when that's when he that's when uh, I said on that episode, I was like, I'm gonna take him to art school, Al Flixion's art school on this one, and uh, they, you know, I caught them off guard with that, and that was, you know, I won the challenge, and it you was win a, the challenge, you get a skull pick with it. Did what? You went. You get a skull pick with it or anything like that. That's you get not any it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I picked the skull, and it happened I, to be it happened to be one black dude in the crowd, and he's a big seven foot triple uh, A basketball player dude, mm. and I was like, you know what? I should give this. I should give this skull to somebody else because I know they're not. They're not. They're not. They're not very well versed in dark skin, but once again. Fail. Once again, I'm there for the urban people. I'm not gonna let my dude throw him to the wolves. I was like, I gotta bless my man. Hey, he's the only black dude here. I gotta tattoo him. So I picked I picked the hardest one. Was that the gates of heaven? Gates of heaven. Where they said, uh, those are not the pearly gates. Yeah. I said, how uh, the fuck do they know? I said, yeah, well, if they're not the pearly gates, then what do the pearly gates look like? If, if you have you seen them, yeah, and so, what they say, now they were like, no, but the gates gates don't look like that. I was like, that's my rendition. That's what I. That's like you you drawing God or you know Michael drawing that picture with the hand of God. Like he's saying that's what God looks like in his eyes. Who are we to say anything about it? We could I, I could draw the gates anywhere I want. I could draw God anywhere I want. If I say that's who I think it is, that's who I, who I believe it is. They didn't like that explanation, though. Ah, uh, you know. But other people did bad tattoos that day, no? Oh, yeah. Tons of them. Horrible. Like, you know, it's funny. You know, you look at the industry now, and if, if, if that was shown on TV now, they would just totally destroy the black and gray tattoos that other, people, other, other artists did on that episode. Do you still watch Ink Master, then, up to the newer seasons? Oh, no, you know what? I really don't, because I'm so busy with my career but if i'm if i'm flicking through the channels and i kind of see one i might watch it but it's just it's too uh repetitious for me i know what's going on behind the scenes and it's too fake now for me it's too fake because that's what happens when you have so many different seasons people watch it and they go on the show kind of prepared and they go on the show not being themselves they're trying to act different than who they really are mm -hmm. i think the early episodes 
the early seasons, but like one through four to five, maybe it was it was a lot more realer because nobody has watched already 10 or 15 episodes of this shit to yeah. really know what to expect and try to act like a character that that they were they were trying to act too much, too much acting when we were raw, we were who we were. Right. You understand what I'm saying? So like there- that, that's why there'll be like a a, a Kyle Dunbar 2.0, a Kyle Dunbar 2.3, an Al Fliction 2.1, 2.3. People watch my character, they saw what I did, and they try to be like, yo, I'm gonna do like what Al did. I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna argue. I'm gonna be a, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna want to fight with somebody like Kyle did because we did things that, that, that were unforgettable, that, that stuck out. And anybody else who tried to do anything like that after us, you just look like you're fake and you're, you're just copying. You know, you're an imitator. You're not an originator. And people don't remember those things, those people. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, they remember me because I was loudmouth. I was arrogant. To this day, people still tell me, oh, when you told the girls they, they they need to be in the kitchen, that's where they need to be. That was crazy. And, you know, you know, stuff like that. You know, the punchlines, stuff that really, really made a dent, you know, and, and a never-ending impression on, on, on the show is that's what people go look for. But, you know, you start watching the first episode or season or something, by the time you get to the 15th season, you know, it all rep- it becomes repetitious and fake and corny. And then you go back to the originals and be like, yo, those dudes, those dudes is the real shit. Those dudes, you know, you can tell. You can tell those dudes, those dudes are thrown to the wolves. Those dudes is being who they are. And that's why you're OG Al OG Ink, Ink Master. And that's why you're Kyle Dunbar. You know what I'm saying? That's why they'll see you. I'll take that. And, and they constantly, you know, you know, like they're constantly thinking about remembering your character, you know, your look, you know, the incident with you and Nunez. That's something that's 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 never. Well, I feel the production is actually even to, to some extent, the production also aids in almost a fakeness as now they are giving um, more time for the contestants to respond to things said by the judges. And it, it see the, they give so much time to it that it almost seems to be contrived, you know, like they're forcing it on you now. <laughs> hey, um, I'm gonna let you get back to your yes. day, brother. But no, let I, don't me how, I don't know how long that chance. was. I don't know how long that was, but it seems like it was long. What was our conversation? How long, how long were you talking? We're we're up to two hours now. Holy crap! <laughs> you were you were kidding when you said I could talk an hour and a half. I thought that was I didn't think I could do that. We probably- well, I had to listen to your whole boring story <laughs> for a while and just try and find places where I could shine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother, let me yeah, let me sorry. ask you one one question though, or let me give you a chance to put me on the hot seat ahead, and brother. ask me anything in the fucking world, and uh, you know. Just do that if you would, I guess. Hmm. Do anything in the world? What the hell just happened? I don't know. I think somebody turned into hold electric on, Frankenstein. Yeah.
You still there? Yes. yes. What the fuck was that? Is Siri playing my playlist? Is that what that was? Oh, shit. All right. So what you say? You want me to ask you any question? Yeah, put me on the hot seat, brother. Ask me anything. Oh, man. That's a tough one right there. Um... It's almost like I'm if putting they, you if, on the hut. Uh, if they ask, the if, they, if you got a call back to be on Ink Master one more time for some other for, for something, one would you, more time, I would. Would you? Would? Yeah, let me I ask wouldn't. the question back. You wouldn't? No, nah, I don't think I would. No, why not? Not at this point in my career, it wouldn't make sense. No, no, nah, because you too much of a chance to be dethroned from the. From the it, legacy it, that you've it, created, it, it could it could tarnish. There's no reason for me to do it. I, I mean, yeah. I am I am who I am. I'm not going to get any more famous by being on another episode, right? You know, people people know me who I am. I I'm, I'm out there. I'm outside. I'm at the shows, and I am who I am. It's not, and I don't have nothing to prove to nobody. And you know, they couldn't pay me enough. It could be. They could pay me a lot of money. They could pay me just enough. Yeah. <laughs> um. But then again, uh the competition level has really increased. If you see these kids nowadays, they are uh, extremely talented. Like they went yeah, to school on it and stuff. Yeah. A hundred percent, hundred percent. And they learn like color theories and things. They had teachers. Yep. But yep. brother, thank Hi, you so brother. much for being a part of it. Got it, man. Thank you for uh, picking me to be on this show. It was my pleasure. I'm glad everybody gets to hear my side of the story and, and a little bit of my life story there. That was pretty good. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, <laughs> We love your life story. Give me some places where they can contact you and follow along with your day-to-days. You can always come on um, my Instagram. I don't have a Facebook anymore. It's just Al underscore Fliction, F-L-I-C-T-I-O-N. Hit me up and um, catch me at any Villain Arts Tattoo Convention. I do every show, about 24 shows a year, coming to a city near you. It's your favorite tattooist, Al Fliction, and I'm in a building. And what about your shop? You still got a shop? Shops in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, send, um, come on down to that. And now Over you're in. building a comedy store. Uh, something like that. Yeah, a little uh, open mic spot. little coffee shop. Coffee shop, open mic spot. Yep. So, you know, come on Whatever, down. Whatever, Candy. Come, you come tell on me down. to wrap it up. I'm just trying to make you All give right. me an open invite to, the, to open mic night. You got it. Anytime you're in town. Remember, next week is the Charlotte show. If you want to come on down, Kyle, I got a spot for you. All right. Love you, brother. Thank you my so brother. much. Love you, too. Peace. Tell Candy and David, I send my regards. One love. Will do. Peace. One love. Peace. People get ready. <laughs>